This is Kevin L. Ford, Editor-in-Chief of Mignolaverse.com. You're listening to the Hellboy Book Club, reading Hellboy comics and talking to their friends. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hellboy Book Club. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle Renee. Thank you so much to Kevin Alford for our show intro this week. Thanks, Kevin Alford. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's adorable. We're banking up a few of these, so keep them coming. I'm oh. trying to honor the order that we receive them, so if you send in one and you don't hear it immediately, I will surely get to it. Thanks so much. This has been so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, it has. Man. It's just kind of neat to, like, when I go to listen to the podcast now to hear it kind of start off with one of these intros. Really yeah, yeah. We've got some really good ones coming up, too. So thank you so much, Kevin Alford. And remember to check out Mignolaverse.com as we count down the days until Hellboy Day and we get closer and closer to the new Hellboy movie. If you subscribe to Mignolaverse.com by the end of the month and also leave a review for us on iTunes, you could win a Hellboy Volume 5 Library Edition. We've already had some great comments left. Thanks so much for all your feedback. You know, everything we do on the show is free, and leaving reviews is the best way to get all of our podcasts recognized with all the algorithms and all that stuff. That's how that works. Um, <laughs> one of the first things I wanted to talk about was... Jerry Turnbull, let's get this out of the way. He said, I love listening to you crazy Yanks pronounce names. <laughs> Isn't it pronounced Nimue? And he linked a video where it is pronounced like that. And it was like a Dark Horse video Nimue. about Hellboy okay. and about Nimue. And then, Nimue sounds better anyway. And Mark Tweedell yeah. also posted a video showing this pronunciation. So thanks so much for clearing that up. You know, I didn't really know how to pronounce it. I just Googled it. How yeah. do you pronounce this name? So and glad we've that's got an entire episode where we're <laughs> saying that name over and over again and we're doing it wrong. Very well, cool. anyway. Did we also do that with uh, Grogok the first time? <laughs> I think so. And well, we also did it with the most egregious one was probably Mignola we said on the first episode. Oh, yeah. The worst. Oh. So, horrible. Anyway, horrible. But we quickly got corrected. And so I always try and... Um, yeah, let us know if we're not pronouncing something right. You should just go back and edit it over. I know, I should. <laughs> Mr. Black. Mr. Black, <laughs> yeah. And kind of going... <laughs> exactly, no, exactly what I was thinking. And yeah. kind of going along with that, Mark Tweedell said, I'm actually really glad the Hellboy Book Club crew are doing these podcasts because I'm really lazy with names. I often read them without ever thinking how they'd sound. Grogok only existed as soundless letters in my head until this podcast vocalized it. I remember doing an interview with Mike Mignola once about Kashi, and the two of us pronounced his name so differently, we didn't know what the other was talking about for a little bit. <laughs> Mike says Kashki, and oh. I say Kashe. Yeah, huh. and what I've read, it's Kashi. That's what I've read is Kashi. Right. So, you know, these are all different. Looking online, there are a lot of variations on Kashi. I think there's even an interview with Katie O'Brien where she talks about how they still haven't figured out the correct pronunciation of that one. But there's a pool of more likely to be correct ones. Yeah, so I'm glad I'm not the only one that struggles with all the pronunciation stuff. Sure. When I started this podcast, I didn't perceive that one of the most challenging things would be pronouncing words <laughs> well it's like you don't really think about it until you got to say them out loud so, yeah. yeah when i posted about the comparison of nimue and grogok with the previous love duncan Fagredo gave us some feedback again yay awesome he said nice spot i don't even think i realized this when i drew it i'm sure mike specified the pose in both cases so it's intentional even if i was too caught up drawing to realize <laughs> that's great 
And we got a Hey You Damn Guys from our pal, Matt Strackbine. Matt Bine. Matt Strackbine. That's another one we've been saying wrong. I can't believe we've been saying his name uh, wrong this entire time. He says, as you may imagine, my last name has been mispronounced a million times. Uh, I pronounce it Strackbine like Einstein which seems to be the East Coast way of saying it. However, and I love this, I knew you guys were in Texas the first time you said my name because that's how my relatives from Texas say it. Oh, man. In fact, my nickname in high school was Bean for that same reason. My family in Arkansas say Strack Bean. I've heard many variations, including a hotel worker in Germany who said it in such an authentic and guttural way that I didn't even recognize my own name. Oh, no. <laughs> So please don't change anything, and please don't hold my comparison to Albert Einstein against me. Our similarities stop at last name pronunciations. Well, and you'd think, though, that once someone would hear that they've been pronouncing your name incorrectly, that they would correct themselves, but apparently his family in Texas just just like, ah, fuck yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mac Strackbine. Strackbine. Sorry about that, buddy. And he also said, I thought this was really cool. He said, I never wanted to actually be on a podcast, but I'd love to hang out with you guys once a week. It's just so damn fun. Oh, yeah. Aww. Well, we would yeah. love to have you. And we also got a uh, Hey You Damn Guys from Paul. Hey You Damn Guys, here's my submission for a show intro. And he left us a really good uh, show intro that we'll be getting to. Just wanted to let you know, I joined the Mike Mignola art page through your promotion of the Buff Raffle. And I won the next man issue twenty one. Aw, that's so nice. Thanks Congratulations. For that. Yay. Then through the Mike Mignola art page, I also got onto Duncan Figredo's site and bought a print, and now I have a signed Figredo sketch as well. Very good that decision. That is so awesome. awesome. That's a good decision that yeah. you made. Love Excellent. you, damn guys. Paul from Gardokin. Very cool. And yeah, I'm so glad that we could, you know, bring people together. Bring that's what here. it's all about. Yeah, man. That's awesome. And introduce him to Duncan Figredo's prints, apparently. Yeah. That's man. nice. That's yeah. amazing. Awesome. Congratulations on that uh, yeah. X Men Twenty One. Yeah, that's a sweet book. Yeah, and it's a good little good little group of people in there. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. We got some feedback from Jan Niklas. He Jan said, Niklas. "Yeah, he said regarding Guilford, I like Danielle's interpretation, and I would just add a more cynical viewpoint. <laughs> Guilford doesn't need wait to be more a... cynical than me. <laughs> okay, Guilford Go doesn't it. need to be a paragon of good and love to be an ally." If he would have any brains, he would see that the BPRD could be useful cannon fodder. And let's be honest, with his knowledge, he could sway rich people and politicians left and right. He could create his own vaults with thousands of followers doing his bidding. So why doesn't he do it? Either because he believes that his plan does work or because, well, he can't. He really can't convince anyone of his cause besides the order. That's why he needs Liz, because otherwise he would only be a servant for anybody else. He wants to lead, but he doesn't have it in him. So if Guilford represents anything, then that he represents inflexibility. When you think you have the answers, but are too ignorant to be really effective. I also wonder if part of that is he's actually seen, he's convinced that he is experiencing the literal future that cannot be altered. Right, yeah. So he's just like, all right, well, that's it. I don't know. I have, you know. Yeah. I hesitate to speculate beyond that, but I... I, I keep getting the sense that he's like, no, you don't get it. This has already happened. You can't change the shit. He seems to be really, like, yeah, harping on that one point. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of... And we'll know. talk about that a little bit more today right. on this episode. 
And he also said, on to the Wild Hunt. Okay, confession, I didn't really like this one the first time because it was the middle part of the trilogy and because with this one, I finally had to accept how different of a character Hellboy had transformed into. Mm. In this story, we can really see how worn out he is because he seems to believe that he has no free will and that he is only a tool for destiny. Hmm. So far, we have seen destiny only as a power of destruction and chaos. But now with this kingly heritage revealed, he now knows that he can be a real savior, a protector of mankind. But is that really better? For him, I mean, becoming the king of England only means that now he has to fulfill another role, saving the world instead of destroying it. It doesn't matter what kind of man he is as long as he leads those armies and kills Nimue quickly. So yeah, free will doesn't exist, HB. You are a tool and the universe will use you either way. Maybe. That's grim. Yeah. It's fucking grim. He also said... I didn't like The Wild Hunt before, but now I dig it. If we are honest, this may oh. be the longest HB story so far, but for the actual story, it is only a very long prologue, and most of the time we <laughs> spend with HB's character development, and that's why it's so great. I don't think there has been any Hellboy story that digs so deep into Big Red's psyche and neuroses. He has finally broken down and forgotten who he is. My favorite scene when he goes to pull out Excalibur and everybody comments on it. There's just something about it that makes me tear up all the time. I think it is because those people believe in him, and we see Hellboy as the person he really is. Good, kind, a little grumpy, but overall someone that enriches your life, and you want to be your friend. And yeah, the little gnome is right. Dagda would have been proud of you, HB. You Aww. did good. Yeah. The Wild Hunt made me rediscover my love for King Arthur. I grew up with Prince Valiant, Ironheart in German, and the movie Knights of the Round Table with Richard Taylor, and it is still my favorite Arthurian movie. Otherwise, he also recommends King Arthur by John Steinbeck, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, translated by Tolkien, and the Once and Future Kings series by T.H. White. I've got a couple of Sir Gawain translations on the shelf over here. Ah, nice. It's good, it's good shit. I like the bit about um, when everyone's watching and commenting and it cuts to each of yeah. the... Yeah. You know, that was a really emotional moment in the story. You could almost... Hear the score swelling yeah, and yeah. kind of like it was very it was a very epic moment because they've been there we've all cut, along. Yeah, we've, we've been had, cutting to yeah. the elsewhere ever since the beginning, and there's been yeah. no context for them. Yeah, and so you see these little glimpses of this mysterious. You're like, who are these people? Okay, well, I'm along <laughs> for the ride, I guess. And then now it's you're it's doing essentially the same thing it was doing all along, but now you have context for yes. it. so it means so much, and it's just a very it is emotional. So that was a good. That's a good point. I don't know if we touched on that quite as much as we should have. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I was just thinking about this, about maybe a couple episodes down the line, just doing like a quick episode where we just come back and look at something again. Sure. Because these books have so much reread value oh, yeah. and you guys have only gone through them once. But like after, like, for example, after all of this that we're reading today, and you've gone through if it you went back times. and read Conquer Worm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You would see so much in into it that you didn't see the first time that you read through it. You know what I mean? They and so mm -hmm. there is that kind of value too that I think is just really enjoyable. Yeah. Colin DeGraff, he left us the some really cool memes that he made. Uh, <laughs> really oh, specific show memes. Those were good. As a trusted member of the British government's special counsel for combat readiness against pen dragons or crap. <laughs> <laughs> I believe this is required reading for all elected prime ministers. And it said, in case of Excalibur. That's great. And it was like a contingency <laughs> plan for... It looked anyway. good. No, it looked, it looked like really good, the yeah. graphic designer uh, that did the uh, your school handout. I didn't did see that. Yeah. That's good. 
You didn't see that one? No. It was really good. Yeah. We'll post it on all the social media. Yeah, it was really funny. Where was it? Um, it was on the show notes for the episode for the Wild Hunt Part Two. It was in the actual um that co- that common thread. There were a couple that he put in there. One of them said like Battle Crow. Yeah. And it had like an album, like it was like an album cover. <laughs> They're really good. Good yeah. job on those. I gotta go. I gotta go check those out again. I because I saw them. You showed them to me on your phone but i didn't have time to actually go yeah. look at them myself on my own device or whatever so i gotta go back and look at that ross radke said just finished reading wild hunt ross For- radke first time since it came out i think and so many thoughts but mostly just holy crap this was just as good as i remembered i love how mignola ties so many threads from short stories together Figredo's art is so good i read the once and future king in high school before the wild hunt trade came out so when Morgan Le Fay appeared, I realized what was about to be revealed, and it blew my mind. I was also reading Stephen King's Dark Tower at the time, which borrows from Arthurian legend. Do you, uh, you've read Dark Tower, right? Have you read all that? Oh, yeah, okay. There's something about Arthurian He's legend. About to get in there. into Dark <laughs> I actually, Tower. I actually kept meaning to bring this up like a few times. So Roland is from the House of El, which is descended from Arthur Pendragon, and his revolvers are said to be made from Excalibur. Oh, that's oh awesome. spoiler warnings for the Dark Tower series. Sorry, guys. Oh shit. <laughs> They're not you major. Put the spoiler warning before you say the thing. They're not major. Plus, the the series ended like yeah. almost twenty years okay, ago. Okay, well, so. there's a statute of limitations yeah. on that then. Ross Radke also said, we get some of the darkest character moments for Hellboy, but I love how the denouement stacks HB jauntily swinging his sword around with Alice, Grogok's realization, and the sinister reveal of the Osiris Club. Another thing I wanted to mention is when Hellboy turns down Morgan's wine, he's been drinking with skeletons a lot lately, and this subtle refusal was actually a substantial bit of characterization. Hellboy knows he needs to be sober for what is about to happen. And also, Ross did draw that jellyfish creature. That, yeah, that you, you talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah about uh, him turning down the uh, the the drink. I took it as he was like, "Oh, I got to be sober. I've been drinking too much." Right. And yeah. So he's trying to have that clear head. Sure. Drew Campbell said, "I don't think you guys mentioned it, but I think it's worth pointing out that the little demon's line to Hellboy." Remember me when you come into your kingdom is a direct quote from the Bible Mm. said to Jesus by one of the thieves who was crucified with him. It's a nice little reinforcement of Hellboy's messianic or anti-messianic destiny. And speaking of messianic imagery, I hate to break it to you, but in the original North myth, there was no requirement of worthiness to be able to lift Mjolnir. This was an invention by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. I think it was supposed to be very heavy, but it was definitely stolen a few times by some clearly unworthy types. Thor himself was originally pretty unrefined. While he did heroic acts, he was not necessarily associated with nobility. To anyone interested in fairy lore, I highly recommend the book Fairies by Brian Froud, who did all the design for the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, and Alan Lee, known for his illustrations for Lord of the Rings and design work on the films. It was my first introduction to fairy folklore, and the illustrations are beautiful and magical. Nice. Yeah, and we also got some more feedback on that little quote. I really like that uh, this was pointed out because I never would have caught this. Matthew Boyne said, Hellboy reflects a lot of Jesus imagery, but not how most heroes do it. Christ is all God and all man. Hellboy is all demon and all man. Hellboy is the beast of apocalypse. And Christ at his second coming will bring about the end of the world. And then we have this scene where the devil comes to Hellboy and tells him how to beat the Duke and tells him, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
This is the exact phrasing that the good thief who is crucified next to Christ uses when he proclaims Christ's divinity. The response is, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So I wonder how that will parallel with Hellboy. You know what I mean? They're kind of putting this little seed in there. Mm. Surprised I didn't catch that as all the religion that was, um, yeah, <laughs> that I got. <laughs> Did as you a kid. remember that now, though? Oh yeah, once yeah. you said it, I was just like, oh, of course. Jerry Turnbull said, "My favorite Arthurian film is Gwen and the Green Knight from 1973." Sir Gwen. And at Gary Dowell said, "Excalibur really is the best King Arthur movie by a wide margin. You should start with it. <laughs> okay. Some reasons why, and here's and so he linked me this article on why it's one of the best movies. All right. And he also said." He also wrote a review on the shitty King Arthur Legend of the Sword movie in case you want a few reasons why you should avoid it like the plague. Oh, Is that the new one? I guess so, what yeah. What if we like to watch things that are bad and Maybe, not good? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll admit I am curious of watching it like the same way I'm curious of watching like a train wreck of right. a movie. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. Is it good, bad, or is it bad, bad? Like, is it enjoyable, bad, or is it like, ugh, just turn it off or is right. it enough already? <laughs> you know? Ed Moore at Teal Productions said, A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger and King Arthur with Clive Owen are two better movies in my recent memory. Oh, man. So yeah, I kind of want to. I I want to see all these movies. I want to do like a. I want to do like a binge of just all <laughs> sure. these different King Arthur movies. Oh no! Got to make sure you include uh, Monty Python's Holy Grail in there. Oh man! Oh yeah, and I think you got to throw in First Night. Yeah. Uh, oh, I forgot. There's also this. the musical from the 50s or 60s Camelot. Now what? you can skip that one. <laughs> Is it, what? Yeah, no, there it's it's real. Somebody put Oh yeah, Brandon Wilder said he posted us he posted a link and he said, Danielle, this is the movie you mentioned in the second Wild Hunt installment and it's Merlin with Sam, Sam Neill, Neil. Helena Bonham Carter. Wow. Martin Short's in it, James Earl Jones. <laughs> it's quite a cast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so I want to watch this one too. Uh, yeah, man. For sure. I think I remember that cover box from when we worked at Hollywood. Yeah. You gotta watch that, dude. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, so I want to see that one. It's surprising Definitely. that there's not been a Muppets. King Muppets Arthur? in the oh, King Arthur's Oh, that would be great. Court. Surprising. Yeah, yeah, it's surprising. You'd think that that would be some subject matter that they would be like, all right, let's do it. You know, Kermit's Lancelot. Piggy is whatever. They do have... Um, her, whatever her fucking name is. Guinevere. <laughs> they do have a kid in King Arthur's Court. They do. They do <laughs> oh, have yeah. that. Wasn't that the one with the baseball? I think so. Oh, man. Well, and then they have that new one right now, right? Isn't that about a kid The King boy Arthur? who would be king? Yeah. Yeah. Wowzers. Kevin Alford said... Kevin Alford. I totally got that they... <laughs> <laughs> I totally got that they killed Hellboy in the island, and that's why he only spends time with dead afterward. Totally clear in my opinion. And regarding Grogok, he said... You guys want good things for him? He literally caused all this because of petty vengeance. Yeah, but I feel rehabilitation bad for him. and forgive <laughs> rehabilitation and forgiveness are great, but he is beyond that. No, I feel bad for him. Ah, uh, I think, and we talked about this a little bit. It's just a testament to the good writing. I think yeah, where it makes you feel you sympathy feel for some of these characters. Yeah. I remember at the end of, I think it's the epilogue for Conquer Worm. There's a very sympathetic scene with Baba Yaga and Rasputin yeah, that I really yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. and it's kind of like they're. They're bad guys, but you still, you know, they the writers find a way to, for you to make you feel emotions that is about good them. Good writing. Well, you know, I do feel bad for Grogok, but you know, he still needs to get what he deserves. Right. Oh, I love him. <laughs> and uh, 
actor Douglas Tate, who was apparently playing Grogok in the Hellboy wow. movie, he gave us a thumbs up on my post oh, about that great. character. Wow. Oh, awesome. Jason Abaddon said, was Astroth trying to warn Grogok not to lose faith? As soon as he loses his faith, that's when everything's lost. Because oh. remember, he said yeah. he came to him with that cup and he was like, do you still believe? Right. You know, I thought that was a good point. He said, you guys were talking about how cool it was when the little fly escaped from the Archduke's ring. We've seen that imagery before in Box Full of Evil, where the trap demon was initially a tiny fly, which seemed to be the essential form of demons, or possibly it's a punishment for demons to be humbled and reduced to such a harmless form. I could see Astroth doing that. Or if it's House of the Fly, like if they're a demon from that specific house. Do remember that fly? (laughs) Yeah, that was, I'm, I'm surprised I didn't remember that. Yeah. When I put, but that's one of the great things about the book club, I think, is that people pick up on all these little pieces of trivia that I miss, like that Bible quote and all that stuff. That's why it's a book club. You're reading Hellboy (laughs) comics and talking to your friends, and everybody is a member of the book club, and we all we read a story, and then we 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 talk about it and then you talk about it too and then we tell you what you're gonna read and then (laughs) we're gonna read it we're all friends thank you for that when i posted (laughs) when i posted about hellboy seeing the beast of apocalypse in the mirror in the midnight circus in the wild hunt there was a good little i just had to capture this um there was like a back and forth between jason abaddon yeah and comic book explorer who also uh, follow us and give us likes on instagram check them out and Jason said, The Midnight Circus is without a doubt the best Hellboy anything. It's a perfect self-contained fairy tale with Figueredo turning the art up to 15. And then Comic Book Explorer was like, The Wild Hunt's better in my opinion. Better setup and development of Grogok, Nimue, and brilliant foreshadowing. Duncan Figueredo's art is simply icing on the cake. And then Jason's like, I see where you're coming from, but the painted art in the Midnight Circus is just so lush. The color's even more sublime than usual, too. I'd love to get my Figredo ink wash colored in sepia like that. Mm. And then Comic Book Explorer is like, okay, art-wise, the Midnight Circus, but story-wise, the Wild Hunt. I just really <laughs> I just yeah, really liked seeing it's that. It's interesting because, yeah. and for yeah. me, the story cannot be divorced from the art. Right, the art right. is telling the story, this, which you have, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, read a, just read a book, mm-hmm. like you know. <laughs> but I think that that's yeah, that's an interesting, it's uh, an interesting little discussion. And I think that a lot of people's favorites are Darkness Calls and The Wild Hunt. We were talking about this, yeah, and we were the about Mid- this. Midnight Circus ranks up there too, pretty high. I don't know. I mean, I would just say that the artwork in the Midnight Circus and that dreamlike quality of the brush mm-hmm. is just something superb. But then, like, yeah, I mean, the artwork in The Wild Hunt is is also just straight up amazing, and both the stories. I mean, I, I love both of them, and it's yeah. just like they're just different stories. And when one is like Hellboy's a kid and kind of learning right. his destiny, and this one, it's also a continuation of that. Destiny. Yeah, it, it kind of carries that theme. Yeah. And then you throw like Darkness Calls in there, which I I have a fondness for with Kashi and Baba Yaga and all that crazy stuff that right. happened in there. I guess with the way that we've been like just kind of reading like a story a week for the last uh, forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> To me, it's just like, it just feels like it's all just one story. Yeah. And these are just different chapters yeah. and parts of it. And yeah. it's hard for me to say which one I would actually like better because, like, that time when you had us rank everything, that was really hard. Yeah. <laughs> we have another one of those coming up. Not uh, not today, no. but on a, on a very soon, on a very future soon episode, we'll be doing that again. And this week, we're going to be talking about King of Fear. King of Fear was published as a five-issue miniseries from January to May 2010. 
Written by Mignola and Arcudi, art by Guy Davis, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And the Mignola covers on this series are so awesome. I'm really glad that he's back on the covers for this story arc. Yeah, these were these were really good to see. For sure. I got excited about that. We open in Washington, D.C. Director Manning, Abe, and Liz get grilled by military officials regarding the casualties that took place at the Battle of Thadadries in the Black Goddess. The military guy says he doesn't have confidence in the BPRD since they're supposed to be the monster experts. Manning says, You have accounts of the men who survived the battle. You saw what happened in Munich. And there he's referring to the events of the warning. The frog menace is back and worse than anything we've seen. The military guy says, yes, that much is obvious. That's how we were able to get blank check funding for a new offense. Manning says, Liz and Abe have researched a new target, but the military guy says this will not be a BPRD operation. The armed forces have domestic sites where they plan to concentrate their forces. Well, yeah, the one guy was saying, oh, and where is it? It's in Mongolia. Like, right, you know, yeah. He's, he's yeah. not liking that they're concentrating on They're not going to go over there anymore. The exactly. Louisiana, Idaho, and Nebraska, Abe says there hasn't been any activity at those sites for years. It appears as if the armed forces, they're only concerned with sites in the U.S. Right. As if it's not a global right. like issue, as if it's not something that affects everybody. Yeah, because, I mean, if it's an apocalypse, yeah. it affects I mean, everyone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but this one guy, he's like, I don't care if those crabs show up in Siberia. They say international cooperation is problematic. On an emergent basis, it can be facilitated. So they're basically going to wait for something to happen before they go in and assist. What they're a great wait. idea. Yeah. We're going to wait until it's broke before we try and fix it. Right. <laughs> this guy, he tells Manning that the BPRD can feel free to operate within their bureau's charter but the armed forces will no longer be at your disposal. One thing I wanted to point out was like in the sketchbook for this uh, issue, in the back he refers to all these military guys as just like Army, Navy, right? (laughs) Marines. Oh, okay. These are just nameless suits. I just thought, (laughs) I I don't know, I just thought that was funny. That is really funny. I didn't catch that. I guess so the the point of this scene is is showing us that they don't take this shit seriously at all. Right. They don't think that any of this is important and it's so weird yeah. because yeah. they're giant monsters. Like, wouldn't you be like, okay, we need to come up with a fucking plan on how to stop these giant weirdo right. hell monsters, right? You would, And you would think because they're popping up all over the globe that everybody would be like, mm. They're huge. They're scary. Yeah. What I mean, well, they're like nightmares. Right. Like we can we can talk about trade agreements later, but I want to talk about these giant monsters that are going to destroy <laughs> the world first. He's like, uh, we're just going to strip you of all your power. Right. And you're not going to have any armed forces. You helping just have you. those BPRD soldiers, and Pretty that's weird. it. Very weird. Yeah. Very weird response. That's that. Then Abe says as he walks out with Liz and Manning. Manning says he'll talk to the chairman alone in a few days, but Liz says, why bother? And the, she lights up a cigarette. Yeah, the wow, Dave Stewart, man. And you can really see, I don't know, is it just me or is it, he steps up, he steps up his game with every single issue. You notice that it's more and more Yeah. the way that he paints the pages. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's well, incredible. If you really like look really closely, just the amount of detail in his colors is incredible and like, yeah, and this panel where she lights the where cigarette, she's the yeah, cigarette and all and, the yeah. it's kind of reflecting all the shadowing really around amazing, her face, yeah. yeah. So, and I love Liz; she's so blasé about all of this stuff. Oh, why bother? We just we need we know where we need to go. Let's just go. Just let's just get everyone together and go. 
And he's like, oh, you can't do that. And she's like, oh, maybe you can't do that. Right. She's she's the Hellboy. Right. Now. Yeah. She's the Hellboy. Yeah. I like this guy that's like, ma'am, you can't smoke in here. She just totally <laughs> yeah. ignores him. She doesn't even. I love that's that That's what part. I'm saying. I love that. We cut to Austria and Kate rides in a car with Bruno. Yeah. It's good to see them back together again. Yeah. Bruno said this is not the reunion he had in mind. He's glad to see Kate again. And he would have been upset if she had been so close and hadn't called him. I don't even mind that you insisted on driving, Bruno says. But can you blame me for wishing that you traveled a little lighter? Bruno looks in the back seat and we reveal the lobster. I was not expecting that. He's um, formed from Johann's ectoplasm and he's sitting there in the back seat of the car. (laughs) I actually laughed aloud when I read this page. If this isn't a spinoff book, it should be. It looks like it would be a wacky romp delightful bit of situational comedy full of antics little elseworld title kate bruno and the lobster yeah <laughs> it's really cute i like I his jaunty s- little stetson yeah that he's got and then just the stark comparison of that to he's a ghost right just <laughs> like don't cut to any other parts of the story let's just stay on i want to see yeah. all the weird awkward beats as they're like trying to get him out of the car and yes. stuff like that <laughs> Oh, including the way that she describes the way he talks. You know, sure. it's definitely got to be in there, too. It's really yeah. good. Uh. I've been here before, the lobster whispers to himself. Kate says talking to him is an adventure. His responses can be vague or even apparently nonsensical, as if he's having another conversation entirely. It's been a long drive, let me tell you. But he's actually your colleague, Johann Kraus, right? The man with the plastic head, Bruno asks. I like, I like that description. That's the hope, yes, Kate says. Truth is, we're not sure. It's good to know that his helmet is plastic now and not glass. Right. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was glass, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Maybe they upgraded it. It to... might be a special type of plastic. Right, because I think we've of... seen it shatter before. Well, Didn't... I think, wasn't it frozen and then it shattered? Well, I'm just saying, I mean, maybe they've upgraded it from yeah. this. It's like, your damn thing shatters too much. Maybe right. it's some kind of military-grade material or something. It doesn't have to be military. just be like high-impact plastic. Right. Same thing you'd make um, a motorcycle helmet out of. Or maybe NASA was involved somehow and they made some sort of new thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I just remember when... uh, Well, you think if anyone was qualified to make a suit like that, it'd be NASA. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in The Black Goddess, like, didn't Guilford throw him back and it it shattered and that's how the lobster came out? I thought there was, like, magic involved. Maybe I missed that. Oh, maybe, yeah. Maybe you're right. And so Kate explains all this. The spirit of the lobster is using Johann's ectoplasm to manifest. That's why they're going up there. They're looking for the remains to put the lobster to rest and bring Johann back, Bruno says. And if that doesn't work, if his ghost just wants to stay, (laughs) I don't know, but I think it will work, Kate says. He came to us for vengeance, to kill Memnon Sa. With Sa dead, he's got no real reason to stay. And if Johann goes with him, Bruno asks... Okay, new rule, Bruno, Kate says. For the rest of the trip, you only get to ask easy questions. That's like the main mystery here is like, what's going to happen with this? Ghost Adventures. At the BPRD headquarters, they're loading up for the next mission, and Panya comes out with her pelican monkey and Ollie the cat to talk to Devon. I was going to say, I I just really love the, uh, once again, Dave Stewart and the mighty colors and this lighting in the uh, BPRD. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just the snow and the lighting, it's just beautiful, and... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> That's really hard to do, too. Yeah. It's really subtle. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know how to begin lighting something like that. 
And all the you can see that it's snowing and everything. Yeah, he does do a good job with that. Thanks for pointing that out. Beautiful. Devon seems a little bit intimidated by Panya here, right? It's I kind love of a this. funny beat. It's yet another delightful pairing. This comic book is my favorite show. And <laughs> he tries to call Panya on her prediction that Liz would not survive. And Panya said this to the doctor and the black goddess. Panya says she didn't say that. She said Liz wouldn't be coming back. But they got her, and she's fine, Devon says. But she hasn't come back, Panya responds. No, she hasn't. You be sure to give Elizabeth my love, Panya says, as she wheels away. It's really good. It's really good. She's like walking she... him through that. Sorry, go for it. I, was like, I also like how she calls him his first name, Andrew, and he's like, you know my name? Right. Yeah. And then it made me think, wait, your name is Andrew Devon? <laughs> I don't know why that <laughs> name, That just I thought his name was Devon. It's something. like a Michael Scott. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. I, like I think they said that in Universal Machine, though. Oh, did I think, we miss yeah, that? I don't know. I I think so. Oh, anyway, well, it doesn't matter. I like the calico tabby. Such subtle coloring. Like you can tell that he's yeah. kind of having fun with that coloring. Yeah. This little this little kitty cat. I love how sassy Panya is. She's just like, well, <laughs> you know, I said that she wasn't coming back, so she's not here, is she? Like she hasn't come back, so checkmate. Right. There's also this funny beat where he tells her. Um, I didn't even think you knew who I was, but you called me by my first name, didn't you? And she just doesn't say anything. Yeah. It's just like a, she just stares at him. He's like, um, yeah, well, you know, I got to get back to work. I'm a mysterious mummy lady. I've got a pelican monkey. And a cat. And a cat. <laughs> Over in Manning's office, Manning's looking pretty stressed here. Liz is going loose cannon. He wants to wait a couple days, but Abe says they don't have time. The subterranean race, the proto-human guys and the frogs are teaming up, plus they have more of those crab monsters. Manning says it seems like a suicide mission. What makes Liz think she can do this herself, he asks. Tom, do you remember Nebraska? <laughs> do you remember what she did, Abe asks? And it's like, duh, don't you remember yeah, how she blew on. up that giant monster? Abe reveals they're returning to the Ural Mountains, where they last visited in Hollow Earth. That's where the temple was in Agartha. And we have this flashback. I like how Abe's trying to vouch for Liz and her plan. You know, he's trying to convince Manny that they should go with her. So he's kind of like, he's really sticking his neck out for her here. Yeah. And it kind of pans out to her then sitting there out there smoking. And then we cut to this flashback. I love this art. We get this flashback to 2002. And I really like that we get this scene from Hollow Earth. But there's like an extra piece attached to it. Right. You know, we saw this scene, but we didn't see the end of it. Um, the way it is here. Liz asks Master Gengen, what is the king of fear? And that's just when the proto-humans attack. And I love this Guy Davis action shot. You really get the feeling that they just jump out of nowhere. Right. And it's also cool to see Guy Davis's version of this Ryan Sook art. You know what I mean? Because oh, Ryan yeah, Sook yeah, did yeah. this. And these proto-human guys, they bust out and they have like these little plugs, right? And they kind of shock Liz. I guess that's how they were able to take her underground. It's kind of shaped like the swords. Yeah, it has like that Anum's fork, weird kind of that double tip sword. We've seen that shape a lot. Wouldn't it be more of a prod instead of a plug? Yeah, <laughs> you're right. And Abe snaps Liz out of the flashback. Manning gave them the okay. Abe convinced him. She's Sorry. so salty. Sure, you're his peer, <laughs> she says. I think Kate's the only woman he feels that way about. With the rest of us, he either gets intimidated or all patronizing. Or, in your case, both, Abe says. Yikes. <laughs> I really like that. Abe says Devon has the men, arms, and food, but they have to get a plane. And how easy is that going to be, Liz asks. Who knows? 
Probably easier than killing a few million frogs, though, Abe says. Out in Austria at BPRD Field Headquarters number four. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I guess I wonder if this has been there since Conquer Worm, maybe. Oh, right. Because they were already kind of out there. Well, and I like that how they introduced the idea that it's that it's been kind of deserted or whatever because he's opening an empty fridge and he's like, oh, I guess I should have brought brought along my own lunch. And she's right. like, well, this place hasn't been staffed in years because of all the cutbacks. Right. So it's yeah. an interesting kind of a very, it's a very organic way to introduce the idea that they're in a place where it's a little abandoned. Right. And all that. I also like the idea of just like bases all over the world, you know. Right. And they share a granola bar. How about you, Kate says to the lobster. You ready? We've got quite a hike ahead of us. One last trip, the lobster whispers, Justice, where is the justice? (laughs) And I love this with the giant goggles and everything. It's just really good. Super um, funny. I, I hear it's so juxtaposed it's really well with, yes. between the scene with them sharing the granola bar. It's really and, funny. Yeah, I mean, it's just the whole thing with him just sitting there, like. Yes, all... I hear the lobster's voice in my head as Kevin Conroy, and yeah. I can't unhear it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the trio hike up to Hunt Castle, where the events of Conquer Worm took place. They're looking for the site where Hellboy and Roger buried the lobster. Bruno asks Kate if she knows where it is. No, Roger and Hellboy buried him. They were the only ones there. And we get a flashback of that event. And this is nice, too, because we didn't see this either. Right, yeah. It kind of adds more to those stories. Bruno asks, who's Roger? Kate says he was a friend, and she kind of starts to break down. She says it's the place. The last time I saw Hellboy, it was right here, she says. God, I didn't think it was going to get to me like this. And Bruno hands her a handkerchief, this red handkerchief. And we get a nice flashback to that. It seems so long ago, yeah. right, that we saw this scene. And how long has it been in context to the in the story? Like so years, right? Yeah, it has because this is 2010, I think, in this story. Yeah, and that was 2001 or something like that. 2001 or 2002. Oh man! And yeah, we, you know, and we get his we get his Hellboy here, which is nice like, to see his Hellboy. Yeah, we yeah. get the Guy Davis Hellboy. I like so we saw we've seen the original scene by Mignola, then we saw it recreated by Ryan Sook in Hollow Earth, yeah. and now we get to see it by Guy Davis. I always like those comparisons. At the time, Kate says, "Good for you." I actually said that. I encouraged him. She says, "As far as like he's gonna leave and she's right, like, that he's right, gonna good quit." For you, right. So what, Bruno asks. It's what he wanted. It sounds as if he had every reason to leave. I never met him, but I can imagine there is no way to contain Hellboy. You and the BPRD, you have a lot on your plate, but he's got the weight of the world on his back. And I like how the way that Mark Tweedell kind of put this reading order, because we just read The Wild Hunt, so this has a little (laughs) bit more context. Don't you think I know that, Kate asks? But he's not a god. He's just a guy. I got this letter from him, this crazy letter, and he's not as strong as he thinks he is, as I thought he was. What's going to happen to him? Where is he going to end up? And so she's referring to that letter that they got at the epilogue of Darkness Calls. Where he said that he was like staying with um, Harry Harry Milton. Milton. Yeah. The lobster approaches. (laughs) I hear the wind, it says. And he kind of walks off. And he leads them to his gravesite. There's a cross that I guess Roger and Hellboy put there, but it's kind of all fallen down. Looks like the Wolverine grave. Yeah, it does. it turns into an X. <laughs> You're right. Because <laughs> it falls over. So how do you feel, Kate asked the lobster. It's, 
It's sad, he says. Aww. Doesn't seem like much of a resting place for a hero, does it, Kate asks. And so Bruno comes up with some rope and he kind of fixes up that cross. That's nice, Bruno. Thank you, Kate says. And they turn around and the lobster's gone. Hey, he's gone. It worked. But they look over and Johan's suit is still just deflated lying there. Kate, remember what I said earlier? Maybe they're both gone, Bruno says. No, don't say that, Kate says. They must still be around here somewhere. Where? And it's just like this pan out. Yeah. I really love this. It's, it's very amazing. just kind of... Um, this vast expanse of sky and stone. It's just yeah. a very lonely yeah. kind of a feeling. Yeah, it is. It is very lonely food. I, I really enjoy that. I also like how, even though Yo- Johan's been kind of a, a dork these last few yeah. <laughs> comics... Kate still wants her friend back. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, he's yeah. still a member of the team. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to throw someone away just because they've made a series of awful decisions. Yeah. But it, I think it just shows a, the kind of character that Kate yeah. is. You know, she's a she's a good person. She's a good egg. Yeah. yeah. Chapter two. And this is another really great Mignola cover. At the Temple of Gartha, Liz is upset to see all the dead monks. So we saw all their dead bodies in Hollow Earth, but it's coming very back, upsetting. I don't blame yeah, them. they're all decayed. They've been sitting there. Abe says they were trying to rescue her. They didn't have time to bury them. And she was, yeah, she was. She said uh, she, that she just she can't believe that they just left them right in a pile, yeah. a corpse pile. But I kind of forgot about all that, and then to be honest with you, and then you know they go into the hole, and then they end up somewhere else on the other side. Right? Of the yeah, they end up with the sheep. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and as Liz is kind of looking at all these bodies, Devon just comes up. He's like, "Hey, I found one of those red dwarves," and Abe's like, "Not now." I think just just jumping in here before we get into because we're about to get into some meaty stuff. Yeah, um, this is just a little thing, but I just like the fact that her hair is back in a very practical kind of almost like oh, a yeah. bun, but it's low on the. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like she's out in the field. She's doing stuff. She can't have her like in. I think in most comic books, her hair would be flowing. Oh yeah, wildly. Yeah. But that's not practical. I don't know if you've ever tried to do anything with long hair when it's not <laughs> tied back. But yeah, anyway, just little details like that. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, It'd one be thing all flowing in the wind. Yeah, she's no not wind. A, like exactly. It's like trying to make her as quote unquote, I don't know, traditionally conventionally attractive right. as possible. But it's like no, like she would put her fucking hair back because. She's doing stuff right now. She can't yeah. have her hair all in her face right. and getting caught on stuff or whatever. Anyway, it's well, a small thing, but ki- I appreciate no, it. Kind of going along with that, I like in the sketchbook, you can actually see how Guy Davis sketched out what her field her uniform tactical, was going to yeah. look like. And they really took a lot of time and care in just giving the all the team practical, even Abe, you know what I mean? They give him yeah. like a practical costume. Yeah, they really sit down hacks. and you don't really think about that when you're reading this stuff. I don't know. You don't it's have to think like about it. It's almost like the costume designer of a comic book. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? yeah. That's what I'm saying. This is my favorite show. This comic book <laughs> is my favorite show. It's very, I don't know. And I've said it before. It's like, it's like giving a, it's like giving someone heels to go out right. in the field. Like she wouldn't be wearing heels. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> so it's the same with that. Anyway, it's a small thing, but I appreciate it. What's wrong, Abe? Liz asks. Think I'll flip out when I see the little bastard? And there he is, she says, looking at the red dwarf guy. And she swears her revenge for killing good men. Her eyes are turning orange. Yeah. I'm sending all your friends after you, she says. As the team prepare to enter one of these giant holes underground, Liz says she's going to hang back. The Agarthans don't bury their dead. They cremate them. And she burns all the bodies. 
It's an interesting touch. Doesn't she like burn the whole castle down or something? Well, yeah, and we're going to cut to that. Yeah, but uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, she totally devastates the whole place. Here, it just looks like she's just burning those bodies. At the ruins of Hunt Castle, it looks pretty haunted. So right away, we see like these Viking ghosts. That's great. Well, I was going to say Crusaders. They look like, oh, yeah, okay. they have a cross on there. Oh, you're right. But yeah, this is excellent because they're just... <laughs> This is to me, it's it's another kind of adventure brothers type moment because they're very, they're like, ah, oh, we're wandering around a haunted castle. <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> I kind of get the impression that these, these guys are just kind of shambling around aimlessly, right? And yeah. they're just like do do do, like walking around the castle. But and just before we get into this whole scene, they do such a good job of making this place just seem really haunted. Just oh, like yeah. all oh, yeah. throughout it, Super there's haunted. just like, yeah, just the way they set that environmental mood. And I really like this. Another little small detail. I just like how they make Bruno look tired and sweaty and he just kind of combination of Guy Davis and Dave Stewart. Yeah. I just really enjoy that panel. And I like the comment he makes about, I, I told you all those hours on the treadmill would work out. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. So I guess he's been lugging around Johan's bag suit. Is that what's yeah, in the bag? It's heavy. I wonder how much that. Yeah. I never thought about that. Like it has to contain like a whole man. Well, she says how much it weighs. <laughs> oh, she does? <laughs> yeah, later. Oh, okay. She says like 60 pounds or yeah, something. Okay. 60, yeah, yeah. That's pretty heavy. God, what happened here? Bruno asks. And we see the remains of Kriegraf number 10 that Hellboy fought in Conquer Worm. The Franken Ape. Yeah. Which time, Kate responds. I really uh-huh. like that. <laughs> it's kind of freaky. I'll skip it, Kate says. But Bruno wants to hear it. I would too, right? Plus, readers may need to be reminded. The first time was when Lobster Johnson was killed, trying to stop the Nazis from sending the capsule into space that would later return and conquer Worm. They're like, here is the claw. Yeah. <laughs> and the second time was the main events of Conquer Worm when the capsule came back. But the lobster's ghost, Roger and Hellboy stopped it. And we get some awesome flashbacks to it. And I also like seeing the skeleton of this pre-graph yeah. number 10. It's really awesome. This table with all these dead guys around it in this cabinet, I think that's that scene where Hellboy said, this is the worst place on earth. Mm. Do you remember that where he opened it and there were all those heads in there who turned yeah. out to be the heads of monks and all that stuff? Lord, this is the right place for ghosts to gather, Bruno says. Yep, and a great place to make an exit, Kate says. What's that supposed to mean, Bruno asks. As he puts down the backpack, it kicks up all this dust, and when it does, we see all these ghost soldiers in the air. It's a really cool effect. I just really like that. It's um, really interesting. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have to be, Kate says. Important things died in this place, you know. Hellboy's faith in the BPRD. Our friendship, I think. His humanity, maybe. And I thought I was talking about the ghosts of dead men, Bruno says. There are plenty of those here, Kate says. I'm sure. As they talk and they get Johan's suit out, the dust just continues to rise up, and Bruno just starts coughing a lot. In the dust smokiness in the air, we see like this giant battle scene. So what are these skeleton things? Are those the apes? Are those like the the different ape monsters? Or I, I guess was... it's just a bunch of ghosts. I don't know. It could be. I was wondering what those skeletons guys were alluding to. Maybe they're alluding to something else that happened. Um, But I'm trying to think when the lobster attacked. Anyway. And also this coughing thing kind of made me think of that scene with Memnon Sa and Liz where he burned that little piece of paper and then she woke up coughing and she coughed up that little paper. 
Kate seems to regret bringing Bruno up here. And yes, and so back at Agartha, we see that Liz has totally obliterated the entire temple and surrounding area in fire. She did a lot more than cremate some monks. I love you. I love I love Abe's re- response to this when he says uh, that was a bit much. Yeah, great. <laughs> he says it won't leave us anything to return to. And Liz says that the last time they went this way, they ended up in Scotland. We're not going back, Liz says. It's like, not now. <laughs> and she's also leading them with this fireball, which I thought was kind of cool. Like yeah, this we haven't seen that before. Fireball hanging in the air. She wants to pick up the pace, but the agent, it's Devon. Is that Devon right there? Yeah, it looks like Devon. Yeah. He says that the flame interferes with their... Thermographic inter- imaging devices. There you go. Or TIDs. I made that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> How about I solve both problems, Liz says, and she just starts walking ahead. Um, I'm so, grumpy. Yeah, we see yeah. kind of like this. Um, we've talked about this before, how she makes these kind of emotional, rash decisions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Liz says this is why they have radios. Well, she gets fed up, too, and I can yeah. understand that. Everyone's like, oh, what about her thermographic? All right, nerd, I'm out of yeah. here. <laughs> I can see that. And, uh, I can't say I would make a different decision. That's annoying. So she just starts getting further and further away, but they can still see that kind of fireball hanging in the air. Devon doesn't think this is safe, but Abe says to trust Liz. And so I, you know, first he vouched for her with Manny. Right. And then here he's kind of vouching for her too. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> makes me feel bad for him anyway. <laughs> Besides, whoever told you this was a safe job, Abe says. Liz is a little anxious. Give her some space for a few minutes. Maintaining visual with us means she has to keep pace, and eventually she'll realize she's not really going any faster at all, unless she's stupid. And Liz is like, I heard that. We'll come back then, Abe says. You don't want to look stupid, do you? No, but I don't want you to look smart either, she says. (laughs) So I like that little exchange, but as she keeps going, they lose contact with her. And they can't see her flame anymore. Well, they lose visual contact, but yeah. they're still talking to her on the thing. They can hear her. And she's like making fun of their goggles and stuff, but they're starting to freak out. Liz, did you hear me, Abe asks? Yeah, everyone looks like Lobster Johnson here. Yeah, they're, yeah, I think Aubrey mentioned that, but you're absolutely right. Here you can really see it, how the BPRD field uniforms look like that. I want one of those. I want one of those field off. Well, field so off. Is, is Lobster Johnson a former BPRD agent? Aubrey? I don't think so, but no. I, I, well, Why does his helmet look identical to these helmets? Well, Maybe it's just um, like a tribute to him, I guess. You Be- know, he was no. because he was his own thing and People then, don't spend money manufacturing expensive military helmets as a tribute to a fucking vigilante. Well, Tom Manning did mention like, you know, Lobster Johnson way back in um Oh, but he discounted it. And right? then like, you know, maybe the the car dropped down and it said like uh fake or something like that maybe he really was like a huge fanboy and had some insight did he steal in there. it maybe he stole some oh. of their gear oh okay and went rogue hmm. he went rogue <laughs> that's my that's the story now that's my that's... head cannon for him okay <laughs> and so this is really frustrating as this scene goes on and on they lose contact with her so they can't see her and she's no longer on the walkie With Liz, she observes a dead woman on top of a stroller, and she goes up out of this cave into the light. Well, that was the thing in her vision, wasn't it? Yeah. So she's like, no, not this shit again. She goes up and she sees this horrible apocalyptic vision. You see, Elizabeth, what did I tell you? 
and we see this all oh, white this, version right. of Memnonsa. I was Most really hoping we ghost. <laughs> I was hoping we'd seen the last of him. And back at Hunt Castle, Nazi Castle, we see the lobster. He's climbing up the side of the castle into this area. Kate asks Bruno why he's there. This should be too much for you, she says. Coming to a haunted castle to help your girl try to coax a ghost into the next life so that her friend can come back and fill a 60-pound containment suit that, by the way, you hauled for 12 miles. That should be too much. And Bruno's like, my girl. Uh. Right? Yeah. I like that moment. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. He's accusing her of trying to scare him off. He's right. like, ah, you're trying to scare me off. She mentions Roger again while I reminisce about Hellboy and Roger saving the world. And he's like, that name again, Roger, is he an old boyfriend? And she's like, that. That's it right there, isn't it? Normal women have exes. Somehow, you still think I'm normal. Yeah, because how would she date? Right. Unless it was like within the BPRD. Right. And as right. we've seen, everyone who's not in the core little weirdo clique... Yeah. Everyone else seems to be a total fucking jerk for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and it's she's like one of the only ones without any kind of real powers, but right. yeah. she still is lumped in with all of that. She's the best one at doing her job, though, which is like... But I, I just find that interesting. Like She's also alienated yeah. in this way. Because she chooses to be on their side. She's right. like, actually, they're great, and go fuck yeah. yourselves. And so everyone else is just like, oh, look at the weird fish guy, or whatever. <laughs> but so she's saying, hey, I'm a weirdo. My life is weird. It's got ghosts right. and, and Franken monkeys. And then he's like, that's fine. I don't care. Yeah. Which is great. Exactly. I like him. We cut to the lobster. He enters this area. I think this is where he died at Hunt Castle. Right. He sees the ghosts of all the soldiers forever fighting in this haunted space. There. There it is, the lobster whispers. Jumping he... back into the fray. Yeah, he draws his gun from the holster. Back with Kate and Bruno. Bruno says, Kate's life is not stranger than his. The monsters in Munich would have still attacked had she not been there. Everything is changing for all of us, Bruno says. It's not just you who's a magnet for weirdness. No, okay, you want to know who Roger was, Kate asks? He was a homunculus, a man-made person grown in manure and spices. And the last new friend I made, he turned out to be a were-jaguar who oh, ate people. Oh, man. And so, Still missed I mean. <laughs> Yeah, and Bruno's like, so you're worried I might be a monster? <laughs> She's like, no, I'm not saying that. I can't have normal relationships with people. Or maybe, Kate, Bruno says, you don't want a relationship with me. And so while he's talking, yeah. we've got uh, down here Johannes uh, filling up in the suit. He's inflating. Yeah. yeah. They. Oh, man. And uh, Guy Davis did such a good job of yeah. finally putting to rest what this, you know, like this helmet is made of a hard plastic or a type of a glass or some, some t it's a hard material. It's like a, it doesn't. Right. You can't squish it, and the rest of the suit is attached to that. Right, yeah. And it's squishy, so that's really interesting. Yeah, he does do a good job of that. And, um, it would be so hard to draw. He did it, though. It looks good. And he rises up, and he says, you do worry too much, Catherine. He does, yeah, it's cute. And she gives him a big hug, and he's all dusty. And then Bruno takes out that handkerchief again, and he gives it to them uh, to wipe off all of that. He did such a good job of... Uh, the motion of him inflating. Yeah. He looks mm -hmm. like one of those crazy guys at the <laughs> car lot. Right. You know, and when he sits up, he's just himself. He's a very Johan. She, she's hugging him and he's he points at his helmet and talks about the dust. And it's just really cute. Yeah. The way he raises up his hand when he says, oh, well, you do worry too much. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really right. cute. 
I do want someone to make one of those car things that it's Johan. Yes. Wouldn't that be great? That would be the best thing ever. An arm flailing uh. inflatable tube, man. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Johan says he was still aware while the lobster was in control, but powerless. The lobster is done with him now. That uh, red handkerchief comes in handy a lot. Yeah, I like the continuity of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Kate says, you're saying his spirit is at rest now, right? He's at peace here, Johan says. He's happy. And we cut to this awesome scene. We see the lobster at the top of this ghost army battle delivering justice forever. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that pose he's in. He's got the punch in the one and yeah. shooting another. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Really cool. That's a nice little wrap up to that whole weird lobster thing because yeah. he was he's shown up at the he's been shown up or alluded to at the end of the last couple storylines for the right. BPRD. So um, nice little bow at the when end of was, that. When he was describing how basically Lobster Johnson was the driver and he was the passenger, he couldn't right. do anything even though he was aware of everything that was going on. And uh, Bruno says that's a it's a pretty brutal description. That's yeah. pretty fucking brutal. It is. I mean it's. And he's, I like the, how the story ties up so beautifully because, you know, Johan can perceive ghosts. He can talk to him and see him and all that stuff. And he just sees this magnificent Lobster Johnson yeah. fighting skeleton Nazis or whatever he's fighting. And it's just a very, it's a good little, like you said, it puts a nice little bow on it, like, right, you, like yeah. you said. Chapter three, I really like this cover, this Mignola cover. We get to see his version of these giant frog cocoons. Gross. Yeah. Grossness. <laughs> Back with Abe and the team, Devon says they just found Liz and here we are looking for her again. Abe says someone will have to notify headquarters and attempts to go back. But they're like, you mean the temple she just set fire to? Who's going to do that? <laughs> he said he forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, right, I forgot. I'll bring back some water. Yeah. <laughs> but they encounter one of these red guys. That was a weird little, I was not expecting that. When he's walking down, he goes, oh. Yeah, and, and it's th this guy like ah, like the light is right. the light is shining in this little dude's face, and he's very, I mean, uh, Dave Stewart does a great job yeah. with the lighting there again, and you're just like, God damn it, shit, what the yeah. fuck? And then he turns around, <laughs> there's this other fucking guy, and you're like, no. Yeah, they've been ambushed by the King of Fear and his proto-human guys. Make a child of Dagon, make your little thunder, make it, and then awaken. And we talked about Dagon a little bit. Um, it's an ancient Mesopotamian and ancient Canaanite deity. He appears to have been worshipped as a fertility god, a long-standing association with Canaanite word for fish, perhaps going back to the Iron Age, has led to the interpretation as a fish god and the association of merman motif in Assyrian art. The god's name, however, was likely derived from the word for grain, suggested that it should be in origin associated with fertility and agriculture. And I think we talked about nice. this. Like it got yeah. it yeah. got kind of got this fish association over time, huh. but that wasn't the original. Right. Anyway, we I think we talked about that That's on how another things episode. Things shift and change yeah. in people's minds. Like I can't remember who which one of our which one of our friends wrote in to talk about this, but when I was saying, Oh, in the Marvel universe how Thor can't lift the you you can't lift the hammer unless you're Thor, oh, or unless you're worthy of the Drew hammer. Campbell. Yeah, Drew Campbell. Thank you uh, for reminding me. Drew Campbell was like, actually, in Norse mythology, that's yeah. not even a fucking thing. They added this Excalibur aspect to it just for the comics and the movies right. and stuff. So that's, um, I guess, over time, people throughout history have been doing stuff like that to various right. mythologies. And Back with Liz and her vision. 
she's with this white, all white version of Guilford, and he's in a robe that's like the robe that she yeah, was wearing. Very simple. His yeah. monk, his monk robe, which is an interesting. I really like the choices that they made for this particular design. Right. He's had so many different character designs, and so this one is, um, is yeah, the most There's simple. No headdress, nothing yeah. on the head at all. Yeah, he doesn't even have monk. all that weird facial hair stuff going on, or the weird snakes. Yeah. And, uh, well, he's yeah. got the he's got the little mustache. Oh yeah. But other than that, he doesn't have any of the other accoutrement. Yeah. I don't believe it. Liz says it's another one of your damn visions. Does it feel as though it's a vision, Elizabeth? Memnon Sah says, smell the rotting winds. Is that a vision? You are here, and I, I'm dead. I have no power over you anymore. You did that. Would you like to know what else you've done? Here, sweet daughter, come see. And we see this BPRD plane. It's like a giant air fortress, kind of like, almost like a shield helicarrier, but BPRD version. And it's just all crashed and ruined. BPR, I'm afraid I can't make out that last letter, he says, but it must mean something, yes. You killed me, Elizabeth, a mighty feat, you thought, but mightier than you knew. You killed me and so made this world. So he's saying that she's responsible for this stuff happening because he was going to prevent this from happening. It didn't seem like he was trying to prevent any of this from happening. It seemed like he was like, well, this is just going to happen. So whether or not he died doesn't matter. He was telling her all this shit was going to happen anyway. Right. What is he talking about? Yeah. Shut up. Even as a ghost, he's still a dick. Yeah. (laughs) Annoying. Back with Abe and the King of Fear. The King of Fear leads the team into this cavern where they have hundreds of these bloated pregnant frogs (laughs) with the eggs. And the King of Fear says, a young empire grows here. In the chamber where the old masters kept us in chains, it all ended here. It all starts here. All yeah, right. and so this crazy reveal that they have even more of these frogs. You know, they've been fighting these frogs for so long, and now they're just making so much more of them. One of the agents attempts to touch the frog belly. Look at that. It's like plastic, he says, and this other agent stops yeah. him. Trust me, that's not a good idea. <laughs> that's the guy that um, got covered in all this stuff yeah, because it exploded. It's a callback to Navarro in Black Flame issue one getting slimed by one of those things. So I wonder if that's supposed to be Navarro there. Yeah. Or maybe it's just a guy <laughs> that saw it happen. I don't know, you know, maybe. But yeah, I love this little moment between the two of them. I think that's a great little detail. And also, what is it up with like uh, side characters always wanting to touch the creepy, yeah. nasty <laughs> stuff? It's like, just like e- Well, I think for me, like... I get fascinated with stuff like that. I'm like, ew, it's so gross. I got to go see what it is. You know what I mean? Like that's. Well, I mean, that's one thing. But I mean, in the context of where they are. Right, right. No, they sure. They probably definitely should not be definitely touching Definitely should not touch anything. I agree with you wholeheartedly for sure. And I just like these little story callbacks. It reminds me of when Devon had to go to that phone booth again. Oh, right. And yeah. you know what I mean? It's like you wouldn't catch this kind of thing if you hadn't read all the other issues. <laughs> The King of Fear has this whole thing about how his nation's rising. He tells Abe and his team. He tells Abe that. He has this whole thing. Yeah, he just goes on about all this stuff. No, it's good. And he tells Abe that his team drove them underground and pushed the enemies together. What you are is dust, an echo in fading mist. What I am, what we are, what is to be. Think of those things while you live, child of Dagon, he says. Guy Davis does an awesome job with this splash page. We reveal these evolved frog monster crab robot things wild man. the war machines and the black flame the black flame 
You delivered to me my greatest general, the King of Fear says. So so this guy's under the impression that the Black Flame is working for him. Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. But already I'm just like, you're a dummy. It's <laughs> right. not going to work out for you. <laughs> but yeah, that Black Flame reveal it automatically made me think of... Uh, of our friend Matt Strackbine. Matt Strackbine. Yeah. Kill the Black Flame. Kill the Black Flame. That's for you, Matt Strackbine. Yeah, and this has been, um, we had foreshadowing of this back in the warning where they found that picture in Munich drawn yeah. on the wall. The woman, isn't she with you? The Black Flame asks. The King of Fears says he didn't see her. Hmm, that might be for the best. Cut them free, the Black Flame says. And the King of Fear says, this is unwise. And Abe's like, I kind of have to agree. <laughs> what? I like that. He's like, wait, this is not <laughs> This is not usually how this, this works. Right. We get, tie- we get tied up and we're brought here and then like we fight you, right? Like, what's happening? And so that is the first indication that- Right. Like, the both of them being super surprised in this panel here, <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? Is an indication of how this is going to go. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is so interesting. It's such I an interesting this. choice. Because how many times have we seen this? Oh, you get captured. You're brought to the evil lair. And you're now yes. it's time for the monologue. Oh, and you're going to fight the bad guy. All right. We've seen it. It's, it's all right. That's enough already yeah. of this formula. So they changed it. Yeah. And they made it something way more interesting. Love them it's for really it. Good. It's great. <laughs> the Black Flame says they have nowhere to go, and they have enough frogs to contain them. These frogs bring up this huge bowl of gore. What is that about? Gross. Is that like what those red guys eat? I don't know. Well, I was thinking dinner time. <laughs> dinner. Maybe they're bringing food to the agents because they're probably hungry, no. and they thought they oh, would be hospitable and want to okay. eat. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I think you might be onto something because they bring one to the King of Fear, and then he just kicks that guy over later. Like I in that a later was scene. mean. And uh, so I was wondering if this is their food that they bring to the red guys, and they they're bringing some here to the agents because they're like, oh, these are guys too. No, <laughs> these are visitors. Aww. it's kind of. I like kinda, that. I really cute. like that interpretation. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what that whole scene was about. I thought it was really weird. Anyway. The, the way ki- Guy Davis draws the black flame here in this bottom panel is like yeah. so creepy. So there, I'm glad you brought that up. There are some notes about that in the sketchbook where it's supposed to look like it's an actual skull now. It's not, an, it's not a helmet. Yeah. I, uh, no, yeah, where like the skin's all pulled yeah. back around the teeth the way that, you know, that's like a natural thing that happens right. when you die is like your skin pulls back. The whole rigor mortis kind of yeah um, yeah no I was reading about that in the in the sketchbook I thought that was pretty neat how he talked about the, the different um, design elements right yeah, and how he gruesome. settled on one thing and then Mike Mignola do that one cover and then he kind of yeah influenced the design the final design too right the King of Fears says they will soon have a billion times a billion in their command Abe asks what's going on with them I'm sorry but that. <laughs> The way that he says it, though, he's like, "Do you know what a billion times a billion is?" And it's you know, it's like what six year old. Yeah. Like, well, I was here first times infinity, so that kind of thing. And Abe's like, "But what's going on with them? Why aren't they out smashing things?" I thought that was. <laughs> the Black Flame says, "This is a nursery for the makers of the next world. All the energy expended to bring Kothahem here." And just that one, what a waste. I've discovered how to make it easier to give flesh to the Ogdruhem spirits with the bodies of my brothers. Talking about their their tongues being all weird. Right. Like larvae, they incubate in these magnificent conduits of geomantic energy. And we kind of see like they're growing Ogdruhem in these monsters, right? In those robot monsters. 
and then it's out of my hands. The Abdrahim formed themselves, grove their own will, and through the life of the earth. I've learned so much since I came down here. My place is clearer to me. And Abe's like, look, I can't talk to him. I know that. But you, I remember you. Just now you mentioned what you did before in Nebraska. I was there, right after it happened. I was there and you said something to me. You told me that you thought you made a mistake. Do you remember that? And the Black Flame says, I do, yes. And I'm so happy that you remember it too. And it's like this really horrible, right. creepy, <laughs> awful skeleton man kind of smiling a little yeah he is it's great i was right i had made almost the biggest mistake of my life i was trying to master my brethren and the ogdrahim themselves i thought i could be the center of it all but they were forgiving and patient in ways i couldn't imagine and it's all so obvious now they will take strength from the ogdrahim in the air to raise the ogdrahim out of the ground i have helped them in this to restore the old lord's reign on earth the skulls have lights yeah their eyes that's that bowl that they brought up right yeah. and uh it, it makes me think of those gore temples too right because yeah. those always had like candles uh-huh. or fire associated with mm-hmm. that but yeah sorry you were saying that he's gonna restore the old the old one's reign on the earth here right so in and this the, guy in... is like wait a minute no that's <laughs> mine rain you're forgetting about yeah. me over here the way he yells out it just seems like classic like um like villain like in right like, yeah my reign he seems like a little toddler rain. yeah in juxtaposition to the black flame who was like a kind of a super creepy right dude i remember that scene in the black flame where he says i made a mistake and then he realizes that he's not gonna be it's not about him yeah. right and then yeah. they all pull him down and he's like no save me and all this kind of stuff yeah. and then now he's like oh no wait this i've realized my wrongdoings and now sure. i'm on board for all this shit the Ogdrahem arrive, not one at a time, but in a wave, and that accomplishes the difference. They'll reshape the world and give humanity a new and better one to die in. We'll have the blessings of this last generation of man who will know that Earth's future is righteous. And Devon's like, if you expect people to go that quietly, then you haven't studied history very well. And we get this amazing page. Yeah, this page is super cool. The Black Flame says... And you are no student of religion if you think they won't. For how many centuries have people been warned of the end times? When they witness the next creation, they'll see it all come to pass just as their prophets told them. They'll seek salvation in any way they're able, and we can offer it. Jeez. And we see like this side to side, like, okay, because like in Revelations, it says there's going to be this like multi-headed dragon and all the dead are going to rise, and there's going to be this devil and 666 and all this stuff. And then here we see the dead rising are the frog monsters. The dragon is a Ogdrahem that has tentacles instead yeah. of a bunch of heads. And then there's it looks like that's probably Hellboy at the With, top, right? Yeah, and oh, yeah it's like exactly a weird arcane sigil, and instead yeah. of the mountain, it's like these skyscrapers oh, yeah. that have been toppled over. Exactly, and, yeah. No, that's yeah. the... The uh, the two images side by side here with the black flame in the middle is very creepy, yeah. very metal. I really like it. And then I also like his idea of like, yeah, what's more dangerous though? Yeah. Because belief in these fucking religions is the most dangerous power to wield. Right. I can fucking control literally everything 
well, with this. It made me think of revival. Remember the revival where they were um, yeah. showing that mm-hmm. the, being a frog was a miracle yeah. and yeah. all these people there were buying into it too. And he's so. fucking right. He's yeah. fucking right. You can, There's already been evidence of You can that. control people's brains and their behavior with religion. That is like the most powerful weapon oh, is this totally. belief in this t- total cockamamie fucking, right. you know, pyramid scheme structure yeah. thing that they're doing. <laughs> And again, I mean, I remember when I first read this page, it just kind of lingered. I just kind of lingered on this yeah, idea for a while. Pages. Exactly. It just brings so many great things together, and it really grounds the story. I've always kind of said BPRD is a little bit more grounded, and here, even though we are dealing with these fantastical elements, there is a yeah. sense of reality to it. Yeah. I, I like the idea that they're handing off, they're handing off the, the plot from this. I'm a monster. You gotta fight me right. into this. You have to fight belief in ideas now, right. and that is something that is impossible. And this is way bigger than you, and you're never, ever gonna be able to do anything about it. It becomes so much bigger. It, yeah, it gets away from you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a really good theme. Not all are coming to us. We know the black flame says some will make new idols to the spider and the fly. Dun, we expect dun, that dun. the beginning won't be without blood. Yeah, so we've yeah. we've learned of that those house houses. Of the fly, the house yeah. of the spider. There will be some resistance, but not so much as you think. Perhaps even less than I think. If you've come to stop us, this is a pretty pathetic showing. You must admit. After our siege of Thadadries, you'd think the world's government would take us more seriously. And here, this is where the King of Fear pushes that. So this is why I thought it was like food or whatever, because he's bringing it to he's him. He's bringing yeah. him a hot, steaming bowl of gore. guts. Yeah, yeah guts. <laughs> and it's I think that's because this little guy is just like, oh, here's your hot, steaming bowl of guts, sir. And he just kicks him. It's rude. It's well, rude. Well, he is the King of Fear. I think it's rude, though, yeah. is what I'm saying. But And so, wait, one more thing. Like, How does, how does the Black Flame know all about all this shit? Because... Okay, so at that address, yeah, the they fought these red guys and the frog monsters yeah. and the robots. Yeah. So now we're learning the Black Flame was in charge of all that. Sure, he sure. sent them all there. But now he knows about all this other crazy fucked up shit, all this wild stuff that he's like, oh, the house of the spider and the fly. And right. The, yeah. Know about all of this. Well, remember the frogs. Hell stuff. The frogs have this inherent. Um, where they yeah, scratch all that stuff, right. and that we've also learned that scratching all that stuff is the is it is it. It's yeah. the secret history. Yeah. Um. There, those runes or whatever. And so that's how so, he learned about all of that. I don't know. Cool. He's he's into all this, and we're gonna get to this part too because he says they were still victorious at that address, even though they lost. Because what needed to be done was done. Had I known you were after the serpent yourself, many brothers might have been spared. Abe's like, the serpent? You mean Memnon Sa? So the Black Flame and his army were also after Memnon Sa. So he knew about that too. But he calls him the serpent. Right. Yeah. And Abe here is like, he's struggling to keep up. He really is being sincere. And he's like, wait, so what are you talking? Wait, let me keep this straight. And the Black Flame is like, oh, ho, ho. That's okay. You don't have to keep up this pretense. You know, we're beyond that, aren't we? Come on. Come on. And you're just like, (laughs) wait, wait, wait. They're on two different levels here. This guy thinks that Abe is in on it. Yeah. He's like, ah, oh, if this I had known really... you were going to do this, I would have been gone easy on you. We would have worked together. And, and Abe it, is like, what? And it's such a, a strange scene in that you have this thing going on with the Black Flame and the King of Fear, yeah. and then you have this yeah. other thing going on with Abe and the Black Flame where it's like, 
they both don't know what the other one is talking. You know what well, I mean? It balances so well, and it makes the black flame look very creepy. Yeah. When someone's operating on a different level right. than everyone else around them, it's just creepy yeah. and unpredictable, and that is scary. That is really scary. Like this other little dude, and I like how he's kind of creeping around the back. Oh, yeah, behind the soldiers. The soldiers yeah. Yeah. As this is happening, because he's like, I don't like this. Oh, nope, no, sir. I don't like it. I don't like the sound of this. And he, you can see he's like, you know, and uh, just the dynamic between all of them, like you're saying, is, um, boy, it's hard to pull off, but yeah, they do it so well. they do it really well. Oh, uh, another evidence that this might actually be lunches. Looks like there's stools around the little bowl of uh, Oh, that's guts. what those rocks were that they were putting. It's for them to all sit around. Sit around a hot, wow. steaming bowl of guts. That's well, a nice little detail. I think that's detail. very sweet, even though it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> And the King of Fear, he's done with all this at this point. He cuts one of the BPRD agents down the side with his sword. And he's, wait, the Black Flame is also gesturing over to this. Oh, yeah. And he goes, oh, I suggest you relax. It won't be much. Let's all have some lunch. Let's all have a snack (laughs) and chill out and be mates. The chef made your favorite. (laughs) (laughs) The King of Fear says, you will not make guess of my enemies. The way you speak today is not as you spoke before. This was supposed to be repayment. But these invaders hear of other plans. This isn't right. And the Black Flame is like, I knew the day would come when I would regret teaching him English. Oh, no. This guy's (laughs) like, you don't believe I don't know that you mock me? And so the Black Flame, he just totally disintegrates this guy. I'm sorry about your agent. That was inexcusable, he says. And there's just really good pacing. Yeah. Like... He disintegrates him, and just his feet are left, and then the feet fall over. And then the guy's <laughs> like, "Oh, that was that behavior was inexcusable. I'm yeah. so sorry." And it's just very like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Yeah, and, and he's like, "Here, let me tend to your soldier." Yeah, and Abe's like, "I don't get any of this. You're insane. You kill your own ally in retaliation for his attacking my man when you're just going to kill us anyway." My ally, the Black Flame questions. You still don't know. Uh, I like this where he goes, "Why would I go on explaining all this if I was going to kill you?" <laughs> and Abe's like, "I don't know, like the evil guy monologue. You know, it's the villain." thing that right. you do the bad guy deal where you go off on what you're gonna do kind of a thing guys who want to rule the world do crazy things yeah you just haven't been listening abe that's the problem the black flame says you need to understand i'm not going to be the center of power in all this you are what i'm just preparing it for you your new world and we cut back to liz as she just watches all these ogdraham over ruined cities and this bprd plane I also like how Abe was surprised that he knew his name. Yeah, he knows a lot more. He's brought up so many weird things. And I just want to mention this cover to Chapter 4. I really love this cover. And it's kind of an homage to the Black Flame Issue 3, where there was a cover of that one that I also really like, where it's the other version of the Black Flame. An homage, if you will. Yeah. So picking up with this revelation with the Black Flame. (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about (laughs) didn't i just say we were beyond all that he says there's no point in keeping it from your colleagues anymore i think they'll be happy to know that their association with you will spare them and abe's like oh my colleagues wow that's a pretty sorry attempt to cultivate mistrust among us you don't know much about how to beat your enemies do you but he does right this is totally working. working if we were enemies i'd just destroy you the black flame says Maybe it's just that you haven't accepted it yet. I guess that's possible. Well, look around you. Look at my brothers. Your brothers. You're smarter, of course. Your body more compact. 
but you're both anthroamphibians, not many of those on this earth. See it now? You are what they will be in a few thousand years. You're not just a step on the evolutionary ladder. You're far more than that. What did you think about all this? This is amazing. This is incredible. I it very uncomfortable too though yeah. because you're just it's kind of like that thing with Memnon Sai where you're like, Oh, this uh, kind of makes sense, yeah. but I don't like it. This yeah. is all pointing in not the direction I want to go in. I don't know. I mean I, I guess I was thinking Abe's not a frog. He's a fish man and fish and frogs aren't the same thing. But you don't know what yeah. he is. Okay. He's an amphibian of some kind. Good point. So but that I creature mean, that he fused with right. as a human and then some sort of little spirit creature. Well, so was that like with a, the... It looked more like a jellyfish. Sure, it though. did. But I mean, when they, we don't really know what state of being it was in either. It yeah. could have been a certain stage of development that maybe well, it was an egg, a larva, or like a tadpole type right. of thing. Well, I'm mm. just I'm just saying that Abe has more fish-like features sure, than sure. frogs. But I just so. mean that like, I think that they're they're trying to allude to the idea that this is this is just a. Well, I, I just feel like it's the black flame jumping to conclusions. Mm, okay, is kind of what he's like. He's mistaking uh, correlation correlation for causation. Thank you. Huh. I and don't know. I don't know what's going on, but it is very unsettling. Right. Whatever it is, it's unsettling. Abe says, "I'm nothing to that monster at all." So then, you think it's coincidence? The black flame ass? No, you are the first new man, and the new world is here. And all the other agents are looking at Abe, and he's like, what are you looking... I feel so bad for yeah. Abe in this moment, because it's like, man, that sucks to have everybody just think all this shit about you. Here's this guy well, telling you all this stuff. And Devin especially kind of stands out yeah. here in this pa- in these two panels, and, you know... I want to go back all the way to Seed of Destruction, when Abe was watching the Cavendish brothers take their dead mother underwater. He said, I feel a strange kinship with these monsters. What? That was all the Took way back. Took it all there. the way back. Yeah. Back with Memnon Sa and Liz. These pages are incredible. Yeah. Jeez. The amount of effort that it would take to draw this debris. And, they even um, mentioned that in the afterward. Yeah. About how, uh, who, uh, what's the. Uh, John Arcudi. John Arcudi, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, was talking about, man, we were, we, we gave, we gave Guy Davis a lot to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, but of course he pulled it off flawlessly, but it was like, it's yeah. a, it's a lot. It's it a lot. It is a lot. It can't be real, Liz says. You've done stuff like this to me before. That thing, the Bureau has nothing like that. Not the day you went to Agartha, no, but they did, years later, years ago. So this is just another vision. It is, Liz says. No, this is the future. It is real. You are here, Memnon says. I have no power over you. Bullshit. If that were true, you wouldn't be here. If this really is the future, you're long gone, Liz says. One of the few benefits of death is that it transcends time. Uh, You're like, motherfucker, I'm stuck with you for the rest. What? How long is this going to forever? What? And I like this where it kind of shows that Liz is still in the cave. Yeah. She's like, I can feel the cold. You know, I know that I'm back in the cave. And he's like, your thinking remains so linear. I could never cure you of that. I used to believe I failed you. But look around. It's you who failed me and everyone. Elizabeth, remember, in all the time you knew me, I never lied. Always the truth for me, always. And she's just like, God damn it, leave me alone. And she finds herself in this apocalyptic vision alone, right? He's gone, and she's just kind of wandering around with all this debris. And again, I don't know, it just really sets a good mood. You almost feel like, I imagine there would be like no soundtrack or anything. Yeah, it would just, right. be, it would the, just be like the Foley. Yeah. yeah. 
Like the wind and her boots crunching around. Oh, yeah, that's great. And as she walks, she sees these skeletons in these uniforms, and she sees this badge name. It says, C. Jiraco. Back with Abe and the Black Flame. Abe says, new man, huh? You want to see what your new man thinks of his brothers? And he takes out this knife against this giant egg. And the Black Flame is like, a knife, really? Do you have any idea how ridiculous you look? And this kind of reminds me of when he pulled the gun on that monk, too, in front of Memnonsa. Abe is always, he's very quick to do these kind of things. The Black Flame is very patronizing here. He's like, is this some sort of symbolic act of defiance? (laughs) Like he's a stepdad or something. He's like, come on, please stop. I told you the new world's here. It's kind of like he's saying that almost as though, please stop, I told you your mom's in the driveway with the car. Just get in. Like it's a very, it's time to go to soccer practice. I don't have time for this. (laughs) He's just a tired dad. And he gestures over right here and we see this crab monster Ogdruhem mashup thing. And its head opens. It's kind of similar looking to Kothahem's head. And this blue bulb kind of pulsates from within. And Abe is just transfixed as he's staring at it. It's just incredible. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, I can see this thing kind of like bubbling. And you know what I mean? I can see Mm -hmm. kind of all the animation in it. And you kind of see the detail. He walks towards it. Abe don't. Devon reaches for him. But Abe just stares at this blue bulb thing. Abe Stewart. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's kind of glowing, and you can kind of see it looks like trans, like it has this translucency yeah. over it. There's like these red veins. Yeah, and- I was gonna point out those yeah. veins. It's almost like like blood vessel-y. Yeah, the whole palette has changed in the entire room. Yeah, no, it has. You're absolutely right. And back with Liz and her vision, I love this like camera shot or whatever. It's like this push in through all this yeah. wreck debris of this um plane. That is so artful. Yeah. I don't know another word. <laughs> so artistic like it's very and all the rust over here that that uh Dave Stewart is. Yeah. And then of course, you know, um Guy Davis with the detail. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. And Liz looks at these photos on the ground. What does she see? It's like looks like Devin with a beard. <laughs> and then Kate's in a weird suit. Ponya with her hair up. Hellboy. Yeah, they're all in those weird suits. Yeah, and Hellboy and, uh, and, Hellboy and Liz are together again. And then there was also all the um, July eighteenth, two thousand. What's that date? Yeah. Um, the suits also like uh, you saw them on the corpses as she was walking up. To yeah, as well. yeah, those are the ones. Yeah. yeah. Now I got a just a quick note here. This is where I first saw this book. You were reading oh, yeah. it. You were like, "Oh my god, all this stuff is happening in this book. It's crazy. I can't see the date. What about these pictures? Why are these pictures? What is Hellboy doing in there?" And I'm like, "What? What's this?" And you're like, "Oh." Uh, it's hard to explain. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine trying <laughs> to explain? Like, just trying to explain all this stuff, and you're like, I can't, I can't explain it. You just have to read it, but you have to read literally all of it. And I don't know how to get you to do that. And then we made the book club where we read the stories and years later, talk about it with our friends. And so, no, but I have such a strong memory yeah. of seeing you sitting on this couch reading. Yeah. Reading this book and being like so curious as to why you were so you were flipping out so hard yes. about this scene in particular, and so that's something that I uh, yeah these am p- really excited to read this in context. <laughs> finally, after all these years, these pages haunted me for many years. I'm you, sure as many of the other listeners, and uh, we get to Aubrey and I get to read this after they're all out. 
Yeah, no. Much more convenient, thank you. It it really is. And Liz, she also sees Abe in in these pictures, right? Yeah, kind of. What is that? Why is... Why does Abe look like that? It's very... Very mysterious. Yeah. yeah. She picks up this picture of Hellboy, and then she picks up this picture of what looks like it might be Abe. It's very... I don't know what the fuck's going on there. Yeah, pretty crazy. So, I mean, you can only imagine what it was like to just get this issue and read it and then just have that to linger on that. Yeah, it's just um, really interesting. This is supposed to be far in the future when she's looking at these pictures too so i also like the uh contrast of you know her and then the photographs themselves yeah. it gives a, it's a good distinction that they made with the art is a good choice mm-hmm. and the way that the photographs look worn yeah. they look like they've been sitting out there in the elements for a long time just it, an awesome job it's the art is very stylized but it gives it a real feeling yeah, yeah. to this stylized world i don't know how to describe that it's masterfully done it's good stuff and the way that the uh, the photos look like burnt a little bit, right? On the edge. Oh yeah. And the uh, the fading of the color. Yeah. Liz feels a hand on her shoulder. God damn it! I told you to leave me. And she sees Shanshin. It's the shaman. Yeah. He points up to a mountaintop. Look, he tells her. So what what did you guys think of this? Great. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Love it. So yeah, just like in the Universal Machine, we get these awesome Mignola pencils out of Ugh, nowhere. I turned the page and I just freaked out. Freaked out. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's Mignola art, and that's the first thing you notice is oh, it's doing these pages. I can't believe it. And then Dave Stewart's uh, watercolor right. skills is yeah unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I couldn't stop staring at these pages. Just fucking beautiful on the mountaintop liz sees hellboy and he's just kind of sitting there he looks very kind of um worn and he says do it he can't do it he's not strong enough you have to do it and we see hecate behind hellboy and i love this she's like kind of an ever-changing she looks like the the Iron Maiden, but then she looks like yeah, the with the, with snake, the, hair. With the yeah. snake hair. Yeah, I, I like this idea that she's she has all these different versions, and maybe she's kind of transforming between all of them. Liz, do it, Hellboy says, and we just see the lilies. Yeah, and I got chills. Yeah, yeah re- imagine. Okay, so imagine you get that you you get that reveal of those weird pictures, and then later you get this too. It's just kind of like, oh my god. These two pages um, just hit me so hard. I, I, ugh. It's really amazing. And one minor irritation I was talking to you guys a little bit before we started is that it's not a double splash page. I think this is a, where you get the distinction of reading it in the physical and digital right. format because reading it in the comic or in one of the trades you kind of turn the page and you reveal both pages. Yeah. And I really feel yeah. like... That's the way to read it. The sure. lilies at the bottom kind of go together. Yeah. I feel like these two pages really just kind of should be They're meant one. to be... Yeah. It's meant to be yeah. taken in as yeah. one big... And uh, reading those giant, you know, art... So- the Right. What's oversized it? pages. The oversized art pages. Yeah. It's very... Um, yep. I, I'm sorry. I can't get over just the subtlety in this 
the painting job right. that Dave Stewart this did. This panel with Hecate with the snake hair. And oh. I think the, um, the the colors are really awesome in that one. Well, yeah. And Hellboy and the it's just it's just incredible. Yeah, this when, is a real work of art. Like this is this is real. This is like high art. Yeah. <laughs> this is really good. And you don't you know, I, I know that a lot of people don't expect that from comic books, you know, but it's this right. is incredible art. Oh. Um, yeah, like when you when I got over here today and you showed me the the physical right. double splash page. Yeah. I'm sitting here looking at this now and I'm trying to On slowly kind of pan it to right. kind of get the kind of <laughs> same effect, but it's Oh yeah, you, know. you can do it like that. Yeah. But it's not really the same. I guess you, know? you can turn it sideways, but it's not it's not the no, same. You no, you turn it sideways, it'd oh. just be just mention briefly which um program you're using for that though. I am reading this on Comixology. Comixology. On we the don't want iOS, people to think that we're downloading these the, illegally or something. On the iOS app. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so he's he's using an actual program for this. He bought he bought this or a subscription. Is it a subscription thing? No, I I, I buy the use digital. The, okay. They always have sales going on, so yeah, try yeah, to buy yeah. them up when they have the sales. Cool, cool. If you can ever treat yourself to the the hardback editions as well. Yeah, this is, is definitely one where that. you want to pull out the back issue <laughs> yeah. of and check it out. Sean Chen, back with Liz, he tells her to let it go, all of it. And in the cavern, Liz recites her mantra, and in her vision, she burns all in this apocalyptic vision. But she's actually burning. Yeah, that so, cave, in, so. Her, in her vision, she's burning everything. But, like, and I love this. I mean, I'm describing it, but it's, this lasts for like three pages as she's yeah. just burning everything. She's the burning the entire world. Yes, that's what I was going to say. The mountainside and the entire world. You see her burning everything. Like the the perspective, yeah. the actual perspective goes all the way out into outside of the atmosphere, into yes. outer space. <laughs> and you see the curvature of the earth and a just a flames sweeping over the atmosphere of the earth. Like it's, yeah. I yeah. mean, she's basically, this is like an Armageddon. Right. That she's causing. And so he said all of it, right? Let it go, all of it. So that's all of it there. I guess Liz just wanted to watch the world burn. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then, so Abe is still transfixed over here. I, I also love the uh, contrast we get, like, over here with Liz. Everything's on fire. It's right. this orange kind of a glow, very warm tones, and you switch back to Abe in the Black Flame. Everything's very cool. Yeah, tone, very I love blue. that. It's very character appropriate. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, he's all transfixed by this thing, and the Black Flame's like, oh, yes, you see it now. You're you're ready, and all this stuff. And then the fucking shaman shows up. Yeah. That, to me, was like, I was like, what's going to happen? What's happening? And he kind of says some of this um, language, right? He looks like he's praying over them or something. He's got his arms up, and the Black Flame turns around, and Abe's gone. The, he turns and this giant fireball approaches. Everything's engulfed by fire. And I mean, words can't even describe no, these it's panels. Just it's just amazing. And, and yeah, having to draw all this and put all this detail. And also. Yeah, drawing that. How do you draw? Okay, it's just a bunch of pages full of just exploding fire. Right. Like, how do you draw But that? it's like motion. It's like there's yes. wind yeah. and you can kind of feel it all blasting everything, obliterating everything. It's really powerful and amazing and just a testament to all the great art that we've been getting from yeah. Guy Davis and Dave Stewart in this book. And we get chapter five. This is a <laughs> monumental cover right this here. Cover rocks. I love this cover <laughs> with this Ogdruhem and the flame and everything. Love this cover. Yeah. This little guy looks like he's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, he does kind of have that look to it. 
We open at the United Nations Security Council room. Guy Davis does a really good job recreating this. I was actually Googling this room, and I found it with the painting and this round table and everything. Yeah, Um, you showed me that. It looks exactly the same. Even that big uh, thing that's on the wall. So I love this kind of storytelling device where... Like, you're going to learn about some shit that happened. And you yeah. just know it's super serious. Yeah. Like, you just know, like, it's this This is going to be really serious what we're going to talk about, but we don't know what happened. I just kind of like when stories always Kate's start like face. that. <laughs> Her fucking face. And this is kind of a good recap. It puts it all into perspective. The BPRD was rejected for additional funding. They authorized an expedition with their own manpower that they had. And then what happened? And we see things from a public view. This is a really interesting framing device. I love moments when, like this in superhero movies where they kind of show like yeah. from the, the real world or yeah. from the news station or whatever. That's really the only way that to... to discuss the magnitude right of something like this and so the uh the exposition has to be natural so this is the only way you can get right, it across right. that it's serious like this is as if you were watching the news like oh my fucking right fuck what's fucking happening you know yeah it, it kind of reminded me similar to watching like a uh, news footage after 9-11 mm, right okay. uh but then also as a framing device, it also reminded me slightly of um, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, where they had the uh, news reporters oh, yeah, yeah. reporting yeah. on stuff going on. They called them volcanic events. So was that Liz, or was it something else? I was wondering. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of leaves that up in the air. Yeah, because um, I mean, they were in the the hole of the earth. Well, right. and the guy, the the news guy, is saying um, we're unable to establish reliable contact with the region. But we have a satellite photo right here is where we should see right. the islands of Borneo. And like he's pointing out like the outline of where these islands used to be. Right. And he's getting all uh, upset and he can't continue. He's like, you know, if if what we're seeing here is accurately representing like reality, then then these islands are like gone. Right, and he's yeah. like overwhelmed by emotion. He can't like go on. And it's one of those things. And uh yeah, I really like that. And so another another thing that I was thinking was it all these Ogdrahem coming up out of the ground too that know. caused all this, right? But because you saw Liz, I mean, is it possible to destroy islands? Because she was underground when she did all that. Oh yeah, I mean, there's that uh, volcano um, in that similar islands that has exploded right. and destroyed the whole island, and now it's coming back. I can't remember the name. Jeez. I only keep thinking of that name of the giant size X Men. Right. <laughs> oh, right. No, I know what you're talking about. Uh, the fucking yeah. Krakatoa. Yeah. Like I can't remember. Anyway, that's the one I was talking about. Oh, I is think. that the one you're talking about? Yeah, where the island blew up. Right. Or are you talking about the X Men thing? The X Men thing. Sorry. Uh, Krakoa. I don't remember. From giant size X Men. But what the I living island. But <laughs> I, uh, I know that volcanoes can create islands. Right. So I didn't know that they could destroy. Them. Maybe it's probably a thing. Well, it, it's um. When it exploded, it had so much force built into oh, it, yeah. it just that destroyed. It made a big old right. earthquake. Yeah. So it basically, it basically, it's like it destroyed its own lava shell. Sure. Right. Okay. You think about yeah. it, like, that's how a volcano is just layers huh. of lava or magma and all that kind of stuff. So she just totally destroyed these fucking islands. Yeah. Well, maybe it was the uh, Ajuhim. Right, 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 right. We haven't well, determined what it. No, on fire, trying to escape, <laughs> and that's why people like calling it volcanic events. Right. Interesting. Manning says he doesn't see any relation to these events in their expedition. They can get more info from their team, but they're all in the hospital in Austria. So I guess that's where Shanshan dropped them off, is near there. 
The U.N. official tells Kate that the incident in Nebraska caught the hem in the events of the Black Flame. It seemed what happened there was of global significance, and the, the BPRD never even addressed the U.N. Kate is unsure what to say about this. She's like, well, the U.S. military does have authority over Nebraska. It's American soil. The BPRD didn't have high-powered weapons before. She stumbles a little bit over this stone-faced official. We're not diplomats. We're just trying to do our job, she concludes. I love Kate so much in yeah. these panels. She she does yeah. a really good job. I imagine that uh, you know no one would have been able to do a better job of trying to explain all of this. <laughs> the UN official brings up what happened in California, and we cut to the Salton Sea. The Salton Sea is a shallow saline rift lake located directly on the San Andreas Fault, predominantly in the U.S. state of California's Imperial and Coachella Valleys. So what did you guys think of this reveal? This page, or the, I guess these two pages, is incredible. It's incredible. This panel with the monster is yeah. like, I can't. It's just... I love how people are camped out. That's like so American. Like, hey, let's go out there with some <laughs> lawn chairs and a yeah, nice chest. And let's drink some beers and look at the monster that came up out of the ground. You got your Bluetooth speaker? We'll play some tunes. <laughs> Man. And... I mean, I, 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 might, I, so... I might do that. Though. That seems cool. <laughs> So is this monster, is it supposed to be dead or is it just no, blowing it, smoke? No, it looks very alive to me. So there's this giant monster and so there's some great sketches of this in the sketchbook yes. of Guy Davis and Mike Mignola kind of going back and forth trying to find the right design for it. And they call it a lighthouse. Yeah. That it, they wanted to evoke a lighthouse in it. That was kind of like the name that they had for it. Such a cool design. And I think Mike Mignola nailed the final design in the shape of the head. And so, yeah, and it's spewing out this red cloud of smoke. It reminds me of the, it's the breath of change, right? Like on Conqueror yeah. Worm, remember that thing also um, had all this smoke associated with it. This red cloud-spewing monster crawled up out of the water after the earthquake. Or where the water used to be. Yeah. Right? Manning explains that this is what they were trying to warn the Joint Chiefs about. There's been a global shift in activity. The UN says they want all available files on the Nebraska event, the Frog War, and an operation in Indonesia. And so that's the events of Gardens of Souls, where yeah. Abe and Daimyo went down there. Well, and uh, he's saying... Well, maybe the the UN guy is like, oh, maybe it's not unusual for you, but uh, all this bad stuff happens. So, <laughs> and then Johan's like, uh, if I can interject, you fuckos, the right. like, this actually is quite unusual. We're trying to figure it out right, too, and then yeah. you guys are not letting us. So go fuck yourselves. You know, and so yeah, Manning's like, well, this is what we're trying to do. We were trying to tell everyone this is serious business. No one wanted to listen to us, and now you're here telling us, right. "Hey guys, this is serious business." Yeah, we were trying to fucking tell you that. Anyway, that's very frustrating. They tell the BPRD that after the Salton Sea incident, this can no longer be seen as a domestic issue. And Johan's like, "Didn't, didn't you, you just say it was global?" And Manning's like, "Shut up, <laughs> Johan." I love the little the expression yeah. that he gives him. So exasperated, though, I would be too. Like, I <laughs> I get that. The emission from the Salton Sea creature is drifting into Mexico. They've just received some pertinent intelligence about that. And so we cut to these pilots are flying through this breath of change, and they're like vomiting up blood and stuff like that. The plane starts crashing, so they send over to go see for survivors. Jesus Christ, this guy says as these monsters kind of come out of there. Fucking scary. I love this reveal right here. It is so well done. And so these are kind of a different monster. Yeah. Yeah. These guys. And 
there's some really good designs of it in the sketchbook as well. I think Guy Davis was going to have them like all the guts of the oh, human yeah. were going to come out of the bottom. And yeah. Then, and then they Mike were like. Mignola was like, yeah, it's a little much. Yeah. Really cool. Really gross designs. But he, he kept the uh, thumb splitting up the arm. Yeah. Thing. It's almost like they're like some fucked up plant crab monster. Yeah, right. so weird. As I was saying, the UN official says, the UN Security Council understands that the Bureau, the BPRD, should have an expanded role in this crisis. Pursuant to that, we are drafting a special resolution that will put before the General Assembly by the end of the week. It is our aim to make the BPRD an international agency with direct supervision from the Security Council. Whatever resources you require, weapons, equipment, transportation, you will come directly to us. We'll see that you get it. This is all contingent upon congressional approval, but my conversations with the president seem to indicate that's not a problem. I hope we can rely on you to continue as director, Mr. Manning. And they shake his hand. He's like, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, everyone's face <laughs> is just like, what the fuck? I really love this kind of turn of events. And then <laughs> Kate yeah. outside, she's like, holy shit, what just happened? Yeah. I mean, is it just me? Or we were getting a dressing down in there. And then all of a sudden, we're what? Promoted? I mean, it's kind of crazy. He's like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. So you know what's going to happen? We're going to promote you guys, and we're going to give you all the money so this shit don't happen no more. <laughs> Which is like, I think that I'm on board with Kate's reaction here because it's like, oh, it's, who, it's... who expects those fuckers to do their job correctly? Like, right. who actually expects them to get anything worthwhile done? You right. know? Yeah, I actually didn't expect it no. coming either. So... All the bureaucracy yeah. is usually just is like, no, actually, we're going to do the stupidest thing possible. Right. And so they'll be international now. Poor My Manning God. is just loosening his tie right. up. He's like, it's a new boss. It's a better, better boss, you yeah. know? And so he's just like, he looks like he needs a fucking drink, man. And Kate says, My God, don't you see what this means? It means no more begging, yes, Johan says. His hand, his little and gesture. So I like this, like it's kind of like, for them this is very joyous because She's now like, oh, they're... we're going to win the war. Yeah, but it's also kind of terrible too, yeah, right? It because it shows the severity of how bad things have become. Oh, yeah. They've been fighting this frog war for so long and it's just getting worse and worse. It Everything that Memnon saw is saying is kind of, coming to pass if men and saw hadn't fucking interrupted with things maybe things <laughs> right would have gone so bad i like these three i want to get this i want to get the scene of them in the bar i want the fan fiction oh, yeah. <laughs> of them in the bar if anyone wants to write that like uh I also i like that kate is familiar with the area and knows a bar yeah. right near the un <laughs> why does she she's like oh i know there's a bar i know not too far from here scotch is on me very generous of you right. but also why do you know a bar near the un where is the UN? why are you is that in washington always no, it's in new york no, it's in... okay she went to nyu oh. she was a professor there so that's why she knows where it is ha -ha. Yeah. and so johan is kind of trying to object like i don't uh you know and then but i thought in another story he said that he got the essence from it that's what i'm whatever. saying is i think i think uh i think of that scene as being like they vaporize it for him Oh yeah, you know what I mean. They vaporize it, and then like. Oh yeah, because wasn't it um, wasn't it Liz who was vaporizing it? Maybe I don't know. I think there was an episode where there was he's an like, issue he's where like, I like the uh, the essence aroma or whatever. Yeah. yeah, but I just I I I, uh, I like the idea that they would give him a different way to imbibe it by like like vaporizing it or right. making it into a spray of some yeah. Kind. That would be good. And put then, it like, in his costume in somehow. His, yeah, and then uh. Poor Manning just looks exhausted. He's like, 
I feel like we should call headquarters, but what's the point? It's just very <laughs> fucking burned out guy. We cut over to the headquarters and we have this funny little moment with the nurse. I love the, the way Dave Stewart paints this kid again. Yeah. I know I already said that earlier. With Panya and the doctor, she says, when I submitted the request for your medication, the HR rep asked me if the patient was a woman of 65 years or older. Uh-huh. I thought you'd like that. Uh, oh, and Panya even laughs here. Yeah. She's got her little... Yeah. That's cute. That's a cute little moment. And the doctor tells her with some therapy she could be walking soon. And she's wondering what's going on at the UN, but Panya says it's going to be good news. Seems like the world is just going to hell, the doctor says. It certainly does. Just as I'm starting to get better, Panya says. It hardly seems fair, does it, Ollie, as she touches the cat. It's a very agreeable little kitty. It's a very chill yeah. cat. You yeah. pick him up and pet him. And... Well, she's had him since since it was a kitty. Was a baby, yeah. 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 We cut over to Abe and the BPRD crew in the hospital. They're interviewed and Bruno's there. Abe says they were with the Black Flame and suddenly in the Carwindale Mountains. That's how they all ended up with frostbite. You'd think a guy who can magically transport you around could land you in a nicer locale. (laughs) And the Carwindale is the largest mountain range in the northern limestone Alps. Oh. The major part of the Austrian federal state of Tyrol, which is the adjacent area, is in the north part of Bavaria, Germany. Hmm. Bruno says if they ever saw Liz again, and Abe says they didn't, and they didn't know about the disasters until they got back. Abe asks, who the hell is the guy with the glasses? And Kate says to trust her, him being here is a good thing. So that's the U- that's their UN representative, I guess. That's interesting. Kate comes over to Devon and apologizes. You were a scholar when you came to me. All you wanted to do was to help me find a book, and I turned you into a scarred battle veteran. Devon says it's all right. He's glad to be part of the Bureau. Makes him feel special. But there is something you can do for me, he tells Kate. Get my bed as far away from Abe as you can. What the fuck? Yeah, I was wondering what the hell. That's rude. Because of all that stuff the Black Flame said. Yeah, but yeah. come on. What the yeah. fuck, Devin? Yeah. Disappointing. Disappointed in him. Oh, man. We cut over to this helicopter surveying the damaged areas, and it says Zinko on it. Uh, and Nazis. we see Marsden inside. Marsden was the head scientist in the Black Flame that was helping Pope do all the experiment with the frogs. Come on, And man. here he is with his... um. Here he is with his assistant in the helicopter. His assistant says Zinko could donate funds to help the area, but Marsden said Zinko is uniquely qualified to do so much more. They have technologies that can help these people. They can establish wireless networks and double the region's speed of recovery. Beyond that, we can help reshape the economies, make them stronger. We have the opportunity to change the world, Marsden says. Okay, so when I started reading this, he's like, okay, we could do more than just donate money. We have technologies. And then the first thing he says is like, we'll build their internet faster. And I was like, that is definitely a corporation thing to say. (laughs) And then we'll do this and use our money to exploit the workers. Right. Uh, Well, and obviously, you know, the whole thing about we're busting in a few dozen kids from a neighboring village. Yeah. We'll set them up around you and that'll be the backdrop for the fucking campaign. The news thing. And it's just a fucking, the whole thing is corporate. Yeah. <laughs> Very distasteful. We cut over to a Victorian submarine and we see McWerther from Garden of Souls. <sighs> Remember, he was blasted into the water by Abe mm-hmm. when Abe pushed over that fuel tanker. So the other guy burned Dameron, but McWerther went into the water near the submarine. I love his little tea set in the back. Yeah, he's watching <laughs> his tea. He's watching the Salton Sea monster. So it begins, he says. 
So what did you guys think of this? Kind of wrapping up this little guy. He's still out there. I was just like, oh, man, those guys. (laughs) I like the look of all that. The whole aesthetic is very cute. Yeah. We cut to Bangkok. Two French guys look at Liz and they wonder if she's a prostitute. Pretty enough for the job, but she could definitely use some styling tips, one of them says. Who who would think that a prostitute would be wearing fatigue suit? I know. It seems like she's obviously a soldier of some kind. And Liz Obviously, tell- that didn't cross these dumbasses. Right. <laughs> and Liz takes a cigarette out of her pack. And she puts it in her mouth. Just because I'm an American doesn't mean I don't understand French, she says to them in French. And so they come up and they apologize. We owe you an apology. You owe me more than that. But if you idiots just beat it, we'll call it even, Liz says. As you wish. And they walk off. And Liz takes the cigarette out of her mouth. And then she turns around and looks at them. Hey, froggez-vous. Got a light? Yeah, that's an it's insulting, kind of an insult, gross yeah. thing to say to French people. I don't know. I don't. I mean, I know that they were jerks, and I definitely right. would have had a few choice cuss words for them, but I don't know if I would have went with that. Well, and Liz is she's had this kind of character trait about her lately, yeah. where she's really just kind of doesn't give a fuck. But why this didn't also, she light the? This is a very yeah. significant scene. They spent a whole page on it. Yeah. Why didn't she light the cigarette with her finger like she normally does? Well, I was wondering that too. But yeah. then when we got to the part where she burns everything, it's like give it all or say something like that. It was like, did she just give all of her power to destroying those things? I don't know. Does yeah. she, is there like yeah. a refractory period where she needs to recharge, or see, is she never going to get it back? Like, what is it? See, that's my question now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so the book went on hiatus for two months after oh, the storyline. So luckily, you guys don't have to wait two months. But but you did. But we. But yeah. I did. Yeah, and you know there'll be much more to talk about there. But yeah, it kind of leaves you on this cliffhanger. This whole King of Fear storyline just haunted me for a long time, sure. just based on. All those things that we get, we get that image of Hellboy. That's one thing I was going to say, too. That was the second time that we saw Hellboy at the top of the mountain thing, because we also saw it in the mm. Black Flames image, too. So that really resonated with me. And then those pictures that she finds, that plane that she finds, um, and then all this stuff at the end is just makes it a one of the best storylines, and it just kind of leaves you on this cliffhanger. It's really, It's just really amazing. It also made me think of like the the journey we've gone on with the BPRD yeah. since we started with Plague of Frogs Volume One. You know, we lost Roger, we gained Daimyo, we lost Daimyo. Yeah, I mean Johan. We Johan, added we added Panya, Panya to the team. And yeah, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. Yeah, this is the yeah. those four those first four hardcovers, those green ones. I mean, we just read through all of that, so yeah. we finally finished that off. It really does mark like a significant point in the series. There's a great afterword by John Arcudi. He says, Mike may tell you that the series collected in this, the last volume of Plague of Frogs, marked the point in the BPRD's development when he first realized just how big the story was. But I'm pretty sure that's not true. He may not have known that he knew years earlier where this was all going, but he knew all the same. And the proof of that is right here in your hands. You see, in the two previous series, Mike had more or less left me on my own. But after Killing Ground, Mike came to me with a plan, and not a plan that he could have come up with overnight. He wanted to completely change the direction of the BPRD, and more than that, he wanted to bring the Plague of Frogs cycle to an end. At that point, I didn't realize there even was a Plague of Frogs cycle. And here he was planning the end. You see what I'm saying? He knew all along. Sure, he didn't have all the pieces, otherwise why would he need me? But he had a destination and a map. And to bring all this about, he wasn't just talking about one five-issue arc. 
It would be three miniseries, 15 issues. This seemed way too ambitious to me, but once I sat down and came up with the outline for the warning, I got it. I understood, and it worried me a little. The feeling was the scale of this thing blew up, and we were going to have to start telling huge crossover epics with no room for characters to grow and breathe and show off, and if that was the case, I figured I was probably out of a job. I don't know that I'm any good at what I do, but I do know that what I do best is write characters, so you can see my problem. I'm not saying I started sending out resumes or anything, but I did bite a nail or two. Fleshing out the scripts was when I started to see that these anxieties were, at least for the moment, unfounded. And that's something that I was really impressed with the whole time we were reading this is all the the character moments yeah all the yeah. little moments between these little characters that really there was a lot of character make it such a yeah make it it's such a rich and bright vibrant mm-hmm. world and all the character interactions were strong they were there and he was worried about that and so that just goes to show you that even the best people in their field are insecure about what they do right, but it yeah. ends up being so great so anyway sorry continue maybe mike didn't even realize this when he came up with the map but let's face it he probably did and there it was oddly enough as the scale of the action escalated the room for character development grew with it see that's the beauty of doing this across 15 issues instead of five so here's to being too ambitious but we can end it there because really a word needs to be said about guy davis we really ran him through the ringer on these three (laughs) series in a way that we never had before These pages of art cut back and forth between huge epic battle panoramas and small intimate scenes. They showcase all kinds of guns, tanks, helicopters, and massive robots, and a whole gamut of monsters and weird crab critters to giant hairy yeti and dragons, most of which he had to design as well. This, folks, is a big, big deal. It may all look like fun and games to you, and it should, but it's a lot of work, and yet Guy Davis makes it look as if he's having a blast. You just can't ask for more than that. Okay, now we can end it great yeah super great and in the sketchbook i like how he's talking about um well guy davis is talking about this in the design for the uh bprd soldiers he's saying with more and more dangers lurking ahead for the bprd i wanted to start modifying their combat dress with the warning mostly it was just cluttering it up with belts and pouches to give them a more (laughs) foot soldier feel so given it like the 90s treatment basically oh yeah that's what i I read that yeah great (laughs) it is yeah, and so in the sketchbook, there's, like I said, the designs for the uniforms. We talked about a lot of all this already. And just like he designed this ship, this hangar, BPRD Flying Fortress, he calls it. So we see some pretty good sketches of that. We talked about those monsters. I like all the designs of the dragon, all his little notes, little eel yeah. head, and all all the stuff, twisty ferret body he puts right here. It's really cute, all the little details he's putting, and... Uh, like the transformation of the frogs. Yeah. When the tongues get all big, the little guy has a little speech bubble that says, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Where we, we see the robot monsters, Guy Davis writes, the robot monster's purpose gets revealed. Before I read the script for the first issue, I thought of their heads falling back so they could crawl through tight caverns. Below, some designs on the final transformations and births. So... We learned that those frogs are going to grow in there, the Ogdruhem. And it gets to that part y'all were talking about earlier with the Black Flame designs, the new, uh, the King of Fear sketchbook, Black Flame. Right. And that giant helicarrier thing, the homunculus. Right, that's what it's named on there. Yeah, yeah. the homunculus. Yeah, so really great, um, really awesome uh, tie up to the story. And uh, 
you know, I was going to do the little survey thing, but I think I'm going to wait a little bit more right. to do that because there's a couple of other stories that I want to, that I think need to be lumped in there. So we'll wait a little bit longer for that. But anyway, this has been such an awesome read. So, you know, when people say like, hey, what is uh, the monster Chocolate. from the cover <laughs> of The King of Fear? Yeah, in the sketchbook, he's screaming chocolate. Anyway, sorry. So when people say, hey, what's better, BPRD or Hellboy? There's no... They're it, just... No, they're different. Different. But there's... They're both good. Yeah. What if you had to pick one? No. <laughs> <laughs> what, why are you going to be so mean? I'm not, uh, I'm not doing that. Why do I have to pick one? I won't do that. I don't know. I mean, BPRD is... You know, it, it is that more grounded take. But yeah. I mean, it's that they're dealing with these crazy-ass cop to him monsters uh, but hellboy is on a more it's like a, a magical spiritually level. magical journey and now he's king of britain yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right so great episode great discussion i can't wait to listen to all the listener feedback for this episode and now aubrey's gonna say all the things wow oh uh, <laughs> wow plague of frogs king of fear share us your thoughts send us a hey you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com uh you can follow us on facebook at hellboy book club podcast and on instagram and twitter at hellboy book club we're also on discord and the link is on our facebook page and don't forget to check out our friends at mignolaverse.com you can find the podcast on podbean apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast from Next week, we are discussing Hellboy in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and we're going to do this as a drinking episode? Yeah. All right. I have some so, ideas for it. Sober friends, take a take a shot of apple juice. Right, yeah. So, pull out your back issues, pull out your trades, pull out your libraries, your digitals, but this time, pull out some whiskey or vodka or apple juice. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet tea, hot tea. Yeah. And join us along next time on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, Tom, do you remember Nebraska? (laughs) 